is the Dazer Update for August 18th, 2019. I'm Felipe Nova. I'm Patrick Mifflin. I'm Brandon Perkins. I'm Teresa Sammons. I'm Chris Ologi. And I'm Lee Lamb. And, uh, yeah, interesting week this week. Um, we've got, well, a big anniversary to celebrate, which is kind of uh, kind of be the main focal point of the show. Uh, so with that in mind, basically this week I've been playing some Genesis games. Um, yeah, I put on my little uh, DIY Genesis Mini. I've been you know, enjoying that quite a bit. Uh, got a nice little Contra Hardcore ROM hack that uh, is, uh, yeah, uh, essential if you're going to be playing that game. Um, because what it basically does is uh, removes the one-hit deaths from the U.S. version. Mm. Yeah, remember the Japanese uh. version had three hits per life, uh, so they like reinstated that. And that's pretty much the only thing that that uh, ROM hack does. And uh, why did they why did they take out the three hit feature from the Western port? Because American because <laughs> American gamers wanted things really hard. That's why Ninja Gaiden Three was the opposite of what SquareSoft thought at the time. Yeah, yeah. Which is why Ninja Gaiden Three, when that came out over here, was um, impossible. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, whereas the yeah Japanese that shit version. was horribly hard yeah and then, just... and now all those people play Sekiro yeah <laughs> so, yeah they they need to just play Ninja Gaiden three and re- realize how bad they had it before <laughs> anyways I mean you're not wrong <laughs> yeah so uh, so that's kind of been what I've been doing this week so how about you Pat um just all the updates that I've been doing to World Warriors lately has got me playing fighting games again like I haven't in quite some time. Uh, nothing in particular that I've zeroed in on. I've just been back at it, and it feels really good. Hmm. Yeah, so I'm guessing you played a little bit of Sam Show and some some KI now that uh, you got the big update for that in there. Yep. Um, Been doing some uh, hyper-fighting even, uh, Guilty Gear. Hmm. I I forgot how much I love that game. Hmm. Uh. Just a little bit of everything, really. All right. Um, so, what about you, Brandon? Fire Emblem Three Houses. Yeah. Uh, I finally finished my review. It's currently up on Smashpad now. Um, obviously, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely adored it. Um, gave it a near perfect score. Yeah. Four point five. Only reason uh, it didn't get anything bigger is because. Uh, some graphical hiccups here and there. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, uh, I found it to be both incredibly addictive, um, expansive with its world building. It's probably the best written Fire Emblem game I've ever played. Uh, also, everything isn't like, unlike Fire Emblem Fates, everything isn't half bullshit. Hmm. Um, Really? In fact... There is like, uh, and I'm definitely not the only person who's noted this, but a bunch of features in this game seem to be like corrections from all of the missteps that you got in Fire Emblem. So, for example, uh, no child rearing. That whole thing is gone. Um, you know, the whole that whole thing is gone. Um, there's actually a lot of world building with like actual explanations of like how the system and stuff or how the 
where politics and stuff. So it's not just some random, rando European group against some rando Japanese. Um, there's a lot of uh, mythology and stuff that they go into. They do a lot of uh, talking about how the various characters, how they relate to each other. The character designs are are a bit more reserved and not as overly outlandish as they were in Fire Emblem Fates. Uh, they've actually done something that's actually a big deal. They have gotten rid of the weapons triangle, which... Is, oh, didn't they do that in Phase? Uh, not really. Uh-huh. Uh, in this case, they've made it a bit more... It, it's a bit more malleable um, and has a lot more to do with like strength and class than it has to do with like what your weapon is. Your um, So yeah, it's basically everything that Fates wasn't, and that is definitely a good thing. Also, uh, that's, yeah, that's dope, because I, I want to play Three Houses, but I feel bad because I haven't finished Fates, and I tried to play it again, like, last week, and it's just, it's not good. Yeah, don't worry about it, just go ahead and get Three Houses. (laughs) Fates is a misstep in the series, and can be avoided. Hmm. Alright, I'll try and fire Um, it up this week, then. I've had it, I got the... Two special editions came like the Amazon had jumped on them, like I owed the money. Um, mm-hmm. So I just, I just have the regular edition, but I just haven't done it yet. Yeah. Um, the other, also, the Fire Emblem Three Houses does something that or that none of the really other Fire Emblem games have ever done, which is there's a very large social aspect to it, and both me have pointed this out. It's very reminiscent of the Trails of Cold Steel games. Because there's a lot of, uh, basically every character, uh, so basically for most of the game, you are holed up in this place called Garagmach, which is like this monastery that both houses, both like the main religious authority for this continent that the game takes place in. And it's also uh, houses the op- the elite officers academy for, for the various, no- and much of the game, uh, you know, because, and much like with, uh, not just persona like persona five your day kind your your play is kind of going on a schedule you get like a week where because you're technically in this game you're working as like a teacher um and, and you get like you get like a i can't remember if it's like a six because i'm trying to remember is it like a six day week or a seven day week because i don't think they've got like the same calendar obviously like we do but most of it is taken up with you teaching, uh, t- tutoring your class, and doing that, you can basically like either tutor them on an individual level, or you can just auto tutor. Which sometimes, depending on what like the uh, what the enthusiasm of your various students are, one choice may be better than the other. But then after that, you'll have a free day, and the free day is when you can either. Uh, spend the day exploring the monastery, or you can go and go on the battlefield and do like side quests and what they call paralogues, which are like various side stories. Uh, or you can get like a seminar going where either you or some of the other church officials or professors will teach a specific class that's very specific on a particular uh, thing, like friendship or whatever. 
uh, or you can just rest, and that'll basically like uh, in- basically increase the enthusiasm of all your students, and it will recharge some of the like really strong uber weapons that you get a hold of in this game because they're kind of like supernatural and can only be used so many times before they break. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that then eventually what happens is you get your actual like mission that you do at the end of the month. That's usually the ones where everybody goes out on the battlefield, and those are basically like the main Fire Emblem-style battles. And that's basically it. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of fun, very addictive, and much as with Cold Steel, pretty much every character, no matter how small, has their own little story arc that goes well. That's me. So, Teresa, what about you? I have been playing uh, Bloons TD6 still on mobile. <laughs> it's kind of uh, it's a thing. You guys know me. It's a thing. And um, Kingdom Two Crowns. Holy crap! Still playing that. Um, missing a whole lot of uh, other games right now, but you know, I'll get back to it when time is more plentiful. So, <clears throat> kind of keeping it simple. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chris. Uh, yeah, so I've been continuing to play more PC building simulator. Uh, my business is up to a 4.5 rating on Bondle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, kind of just working towards that. I basically just built up the habitat, the habit that I basically run the virus uh, scanner on everybody's PC uh, <laughs> when they need to, because they continually forget to mention that as like one of the the things that. Uh, a lot of people ask for. It's like, I've been getting weird pop-ups. Mm. It's like, well, that's because you're fucking on the wrong <laughs> website, you idiots. Uh, something, some art imitating life. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I've been getting a lot of requests lately. Uh, like, you know, make my PC run at uh, like a 2320, like, mar- uh, 3D Mark score. It's mm. like, okay, that's weird. Uh like a benchmark you want for your PC. Uh, so I have to like, I can't order parts out ahead of time. I have to wait for it to come in and then run it and see like what it gets mm. and figure out like whether it's weaker on the CPU side or the graphics card side and get an upgrade for that. Uh, some of that stuff, but I just got my first uh, request to build a PC from scratch. Mm. So I haven't delved into that just yet, but uh, yeah, kind of working through that. I've uh, got some nice trophies in there. There's one for uh, starting up a PC uh, without putting on the uh, the, the heat. Uh, the thermal paste. <laughs> yeah, thermal paste on there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's one for doing putting an AMD CPU in with an NVIDIA card mm. in there. Like a couple things like that are kind of jokey things. Mm. Uh, which that thermal paste one is the the most common trophy in the game. Yeah, everybody uh, forgets to do that. Yeah, it happens at least once. Yeah, it's too bad they can't yeah. simulate the the smell of burning silicon. Mm. <laughs> yeah, not yet. Mm. But like there are, you can get blue screens of death in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we did that stream, I was trying to build the water cooled PC, and for whatever reason, couldn't get it working right. And so every time I try to start 3D Mark, like a few seconds in, just go blue screen. Uh, so I ended up just putting that contained system. Mm. And that's just where it worked. Um, but yeah, that's that game's a lot of fun. Still kind of working towards... I think I got up to level 5 so I can swap out the 
the uh, the peripherals I have, the keyboard, mouse, and mouse pad and uh, headphones, which has no effect on anything. No. Because they're just cosmetic stuff there, but that uh, all so far is at least Razer stuff. Uh, oh. So now I need to start messing with the lighting uh, app I have that I just, I can set it to rainbow mode and I'll just uh, change colors constantly. Hmm. Um, I did find... So one of the issues I was having is trying to figure out like which cards are more powerful than the others. And I eventually unlocked the ability to buy this app that's called like uh it's like a ranking thing. Yeah, perfect. So it shows you just how they uh compare to one another, that sort of thing. Hmm. And yeah, like just looking through that list, like Jesus Christ, these things have the dumbest fucking names. Yes. <laughs> there are tons of cards that have like gamer at the end. It's like, what the fuck does this mean? They're all for games, you fucking idiots. <laughs> Marketing. <laughs> yeah. It's Gamer OC Edition. It's like, Jesus Christ. It's like, dumbest name is Cars. Mm. Uh, it's worse than Cars. <laughs> I mean, Cars have all those like extra initials at the end mm. that I've never been able to figure out. Um, but trim yeah, levels. Mm. It's your trim levels. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the that game's a lot of fun. Uh, still working towards his ability to name the company. I'm supposed to own like 25% of it, which as far as I know, I own all of it. Because <laughs> essentially the whole story is that your Uncle Tim like fucks this company up, uh, then gives it to you, and then on the way out, uh, takes 15 bucks for gas money. <laughs> so you're 15 bucks in the hole when you start. So you start like in a hole. Uh, which first gigs you get, you know, get you back in the, mm. in the black, uh, yeah, they let you overdraft too, like a thousand bucks, I think. Yeah. Oh but God. the weird thing is, it's it's a game that was made in Britain, so it's all pounds. Is they just changed the pounds to dollars, so some of the prices don't make any sense. <laughs> Why these graphics cards? And then we woke up. <laughs> Two hundred bucks or less hmm. uh, for like a nine seventy or nine eighty, whatever uh, that sort of stuff. I think the most expensive one I can get right now is like three forty five, something like that. Hmm. Uh, I forget what it is, mm-hmm. but yeah, the. I think they said they're going to be doing a price adjustment in the, in the coming updates. So. That'll be good, but then I'll lose money because <laughs> my uh, income will be severely reduced. Mm. Um, or maybe it goes up. I don't know. Yeah. Depends on when they do the do the change for like what the, the translation is. Yeah. Between pounds and dollars, Cause like right now, it's not great. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, I still haven't got to the point where I have to, still working towards rent day, uh, where I need 500 bucks for that, uh, to make sure. It's real weird that they tell you your rent up front, but not utilities. Yeah. So like, went in, it's like, oh, is this going to be expensive? It's like 95 bucks. Like, okay, it's nothing to worry about. Hmm. Well, uh, kind of like real life. You don't know how much you're going to spend in utilities until you spend it. Yeah. So I can turn off the lights. <laughs> On my in my room, so I've been working like that for a little bit. Dark. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to affect anything. It's just it'll make the L- the LED stuff yeah uh, more stand out more. But yeah, that was a, a lot of fun to play, and I've been playing some more No Man's Sky. Uh, mm-hmm. Yesterday I did the uh, PSVR stream, mm-hmm. uh, which was fun because that that version of the game is really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was playing with two moves, uh, which has a lot of interesting stuff in it. So. They do some interesting ways for you to bring up your inventory and some of the other like optiony stuff. Would you have like a 
on your left like wrist you have this like little uh like menu system you can bring up uh sort of like a kind of like dead space uh style thing uh to go into that and then you have you pull up your inventory and you're like oh here's just the inventory and I use the the right move to uh interact with that the way you normally would um and uh yeah it the main issue is that the the resolution's pretty low that's how they get the the frame rate up on that yeah is that you're basically can't really see anything too clearly from like mid to long range and i think the the draw distance has also been shrunk a bit too uh which was annoying when i was flying uh onto one of the planets to complete some quest to just scan new plants and minerals and it's it's got a big ocean and i didn't know where the land was so i'm just flying around and I'm like jesus christ all these are like little islands uh and so i had to fly back up just to be able to see the where where the land was supposed to be and eventually landed and uh did a lot of stuff there um and yeah ended up going back up to the space anomaly which is the big social area uh which did not crash at all so it was good i think i turned off the multiplayer stuff too hmm. just to be sure so uh, that went pretty well, and uh, yeah, they got. It. There's like one of the weird things is uh, some of the controls aren't explained that well. So it's telling me like, oh, hit the right move or left move button to uh, pull out your analysis visor, which is what you use to actually scan uh, plants, animals, and minerals. And what it wasn't telling me is I had to hold it up to my head like I was pulling down the visor itself mm. <laughs> uh, or my uh, helmet. So I was, uh, took me a while. I just had to pull off the headset and just Google it. Like, why the fuck can I pull this up? Because the, the right move button is also what you use to warp and move around. Uh, so I was like, okay, it's not working. Why is this not? It's like, oh, you have to hold it up to your head. It's like, oh, that explains it. They have like this gun that you aim at, uh, different animals and, uh, scan them that way. So that made a lot more sense once I got used to it. Uh, the other thing was for the, uh, manipulator tool, the terrain manipulator tool, which is what you use to kind of dig into the ground or build it up, that sort of thing, which is sort of one of the cool things that the uh, the VR version has, so you can actually do that stuff by hand, a little bit more natural way than just using a cursor in the game, and uh, and sort of similar on the, the left wrist, there's a similar thing you can do on the right wrist to sort of change the the status for the for the manipulator or switch over to the the regular mining laser that sort of stuff like change the status and all that uh, so that stuff is uh, pretty well done once you get used to it I would have maybe gotten better at that stuff if I had started a new save just for the VR version but I wasn't going to spend that much time in it but I managed to get through two hours and not have any nausea or anything like that uh, even did a bit of uh, jetpacking where I went up to the air and fell back down and got that like pit in the bottom of my stomach of like, oh shit, this is too high, uh, sort of thing. <laughs> real issues. Uh, I hate that feeling. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like swimming's pretty easy. Like you're holding the, the left move and you're kind of, as you're tilting it, you're moving in that direction as long as you're holding down the move button, uh, sort of thing. And so that was how I was scanning a lot of, uh, plants and such under the water and animals is when I found them. Uh, that sort of stuff. The the flight stuff is pretty interesting. Uh, it probably needs a little bit more work because the 
So I mentioned in one of the other streams, the the first one for Beyond, that the cockpit, like when you look around, is pretty huge after that big update. And that's largely because you're going to be in that, be able to be in that for VR. Hmm. And so once you get in it, uh, you have a throttle on the left side and your flight stick on the right side that you grab onto. And it's a little bit sensitive with the flight stick, uh, which also have uh, inverted for flight. So that was also get me uh, a little bit confused at times. So I would go to try to go up and pushing uh, up on it. And it's like, no, we're going the wrong way. I had to keep, I had to re like center myself that way. And, uh, and didn't really get sick of that. Cause it just, it just runs smoothly enough. It, just works a lot better than some of the other games I've seen like that. Um, and yeah, like when you get out, you're gonna have to actually grab onto the uh, the windshield, like the front of the the glass there. You have to pull it up to actually open it up to get out, hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, like when I was just flying around that one planet, uh, looking over the ocean, I was like looking out all of my windows, like, okay, where the fuck is this land at? Uh, sort of thing, and yeah, it's it's a really cool version of that game. Really cool way to play it, and definitely one of the something that people with PSVR should check out. Yeah, uh, if you want that kind of big, huge sa- uh, sandbox survival game, because uh, it works out pretty well, uh, which is nice because the the regular game definitely has some performance issues. Yeah, I think it has like an option to lock it to thirty frames per second. It's so like them being able to get the, the VR version running smoothly is uh, a big accomplishment. Hmm. And maybe that would be a sign of like how they would get it to work on the Switch, is like just make everything super blurry. <laughs> the low, low resolution, low draw distance, that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's what they're doing low. for Witcher 3. So. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, yeah, that's been uh, pretty much it for me. How about you, Lee? Uh, well, I've been trying to get through Dragon Quest VI, and I am legitimately having a problem. Like, the, the game, this is the, really one of the only Dragon Quests I never played, and then I didn't get around to it when they released it on DS. I bought it the day it came out, but I just never got to it. And uh, it is legitimately frustrating, I guess. Um, the narrative starts out strong. Everything actually seems really cool, and then it just kind of drops off a cliff. And so... Um, out of all of the Dragon Quests I've played so far, the characters are the least interesting that I've ever seen, which I think is a huge part of the problem. Like you could, you could, you know, most Dragon Quests are you know really just they're all structured the same way. The thing that really makes them worthwhile is that you know if you like that kind of game plan, then you like the characters. And um, this doesn't. It's it's a remarkable playing a game without characters that I really like that makes this not very fun. And it also could be because I played four, five, and six again in a row. Or four four and five in a row. And then kind of coming to six, it's just kind of like, eh. So, but I'm trying to power through it. I actually had a friend of mine tell me, like, like, there's three more towns that I have to go through, and then apparently the game takes off like a rocket. So we'll see. I'm playing it in my, in what little free time I have on the, uh, on the DS. So we'll see what happens. Um, I've been playing a little bit of Hearthstone because they did their uh, Hearthstone because they did their expansion, but I haven't really had time to get into that. And uh, I, oh, I've been playing actually. I've been playing Bloodstained. I didn't list that on the notes. I'll have to go back and add that. Um, but I've been playing Bloodstained. I think according to the the counter, I am forty five percent done with the castle. Okay. And um, 
still still encountering some of those technical glitches. Um, yeah. Had her head disappear and lock the game up again. That was dope. Yeah, that has that won't be fixed until the end of August. Yeah. So, um, I don't. I still don't know how I feel about it. I mean, it's. I'm definitely having a good time. Um, but I still just kind of go back to that that thing that I talked about. And Phil, I'm sure it'll change when I maybe I get further. Um, but I still am kind of going back to that thing where it. Uh, you know, you have this. You have like Cheerios, and then the store bought Cheerios, and they're just about the same, but they're not quite. That's still what Bloodstain kind of feels like to me. And I think part of it is. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. Like, okay, so much of the game I think works really well. Like, I still like I think the gameplay so far from everything I've encountered is actually still really fantastic. Um, but there's just so much about the game where you're like getting into a groove, and then there's just like something jarring that happens. And a lot of it comes down to technical things. Like, um, it's remarkable to me how shitty the NPCs look. Like the the one guy um, with the glasses. I can't remember his name. What? Oh god. Oh, that's the other thing. All the names in this game are terrible. You mean um, the, the, the alchemist dude that you're uh, yeah. in town? Yeah, Johannes. Johannes, yeah. Like, you ever seen that guy run? Yeah. Definitely looks like there's a stick stuck somewhere. <laughs> um, and then like that, the what the the villain, I guess you're supposed to be like the Dracula standing in Jeebel. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a drunk gerbil, man. Like who came up with this shit? And like, but then you have these other characters that are actually done pretty well. Like uh, what is it? Is it Zan, Zan, Zangatsu, the samurai guy? Yeah. Um, he actually looks remarkably good, um, and, and so the, it, there's just so much. And I see the same kind of inconsistencies with a lot of the um, a lot of the enemies as well. That it's just kind of it just strikes me as the the biggest thing that I have a problem with. I guess in this sense is just there. There's just a tremendous amount of polish, and then a tremendous lack of polish, and it's just a completely jarring experience. So I'm still playing through it. Like I said, I'm still enjoying the gameplay, but uh, I'm not. I don't feel that sort of push to progress the way that I have with pretty much every Castlevania game. Um, but then there, there is stuff that I do. Like I'm actually a huge fan of, um, of like, like I just started fighting an enemy that looks just like Ryu Hayabusa. Um, and, in one section of the castle. And then of course they have like the shovel knight. And I, I, I'm doing those quests for that woman where she's like, um, she just wants you to kill, murder everybody. Yeah. She wants you to kill everybody. And there's like, there's their Belmont names on there. Mm hmm. You know, so like that's so. I mean, like I said, there's still a lot to really like about the game, and 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 the and definitely the gameplay is really solid. Um, but I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna finish it here in the next couple of weeks, and then you know, I kind of hopefully see where I go, see where I go with it, and how I feel. But it's definitely one of those games where, um, depending on what the updates are gonna be, that I definitely feel like, damn, I should have waited, which is no, which is unusual. Normally, I'm waiting um, because I have to because I don't have enough time. Hmm. You know, but with this, it was just like, no, man, this is basically like Symphony of the Night too. And then there are definitely things that I could I could see as improvements, like all of the familiars and everything, and, and like the shard system. I think is really cool, um, and and definitely helps vary up the gameplay um, in a way that's a lot more interesting than Symphony of the Night. I feel like you have a lot more choices, which is super super cool. But the actual portion of like experimenting and all that, I just I just don't find the game itself, like with the world that they're in and everything that interesting, which is, is part of what's, you know, kind of pulling me out along with the, the technical stuff. So, so there's that. And then, um, I've have fire emblem three houses and I'm, I'm just kind of trying to work up the will to start it. Cause I'm sure when I do, it'll take up my time, but I went back cause I had this thing, man, I don't know what my problem is, but like where I feel like I have to play 
like the other games first for the most part because I don't ever want to put myself in a situation where if I enjoy something a lot and then I go back and I play the old one and I'm like, man, this is terrible, you know. Um, but I, I'm probably like 20 hours into Fates and I just I can't do it anymore. Like I don't I don't like the structure. I don't like the characters. Like every everyone seems like one note anime tropey. Um, and I know there's a lot of split between the fan base where they're like. Um, well, you know, Awakenings ruined everything, and I've been playing Fire Emblem since back on the fucking GBA, and um, I just I feel like Fates veered into this really weird place that I just was not down with, you know. And mm-hmm. so, based on what Brandon was saying, it sounds like Three Houses is not uh, is not like that. So I'm gonna fire it up. I just need to make sure I actually have the time to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would love is a game that mixed. Like the tactical stuff from Fire Emblem with like castle building, like Suikoden. That would be dope. I feel like that's what Fates was trying to do, but it was like, put a fountain here, and then you can meet a girl here and you can stare at her. <laughs> like, that's, uh, yeah. I don't know. So, so I don't know. Sounding. It, it's just, it's just bad. It, like, Fates, like, the biggest problem with it was to me, like, what, from what I was playing was just, if, and I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way. I just don't know how else to say it. It it reminded me of a game that was fucking designed by somebody that was starved for any sort of affection. Because anybody that's in any fucking relationship would not be comfortable playing this game where you knew they're supposed to be petting. And I know they removed that. But, like, then you just kind of stare awkwardly at them and you can move up and down their portrait and everything. Like, I feel like it's rule number one for me. A game can't make me feel like a fucking skis for playing it. Um <laughs> And and fates totally did. So um, I I just I, I don't think I'm gonna I don't think I could finish it. Yeah. So I think I'm just gonna I'm I'm just sorting through that fact with myself to say like fuck it and then just go to three houses. Yeah. It's a shame too because I've I've always liked Fire Emblem ever since I played uh what was it uh, Sacred Stones on the uh, on the GBA. Mm-hmm. Fuck I mean I love that shit. I remember one time I had a uh, I had to deal with an issue and I had been um in the hospital and I ended up playing through Fire Emblem. Uh, and uh, Tactics Advance, which I know a lot of people shit on that game, but the combat's fun. Um, and so I have, I have fond memories of Fire Emblem just going from that. But it's funny. It was funny playing Fates. I was like, damn, I really wish we could have just gotten another Advance Wars and you didn't have to put out this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, but no, that's about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's get into the uh, news of the week. Uh, didn't have a lot of news this week. You know, Game, Gamescom is starting up soon, so there hasn't been all that many announcements coming out of it yet. But that's going to change. Uh, but we do have a few things to cover. First of all, uh, if uh, you are a fan of No More Heroes, uh, yeah, and you wanted to play it on the PS4 or PC, well, uh, the new one, Travis Strikes Again, is coming uh, this year. Uh, October. Yeah, October 14th is when exactly. you'll be able to get it for, uh, on, for PC and on PS4. Uh, this version will be will basically include everything that was in the Switch version, including the DLC. So it's basically just the whole package. Um, so yeah, if you like your weird uh, <laughs> marvelous entertainment games, uh, there you go. It's uh, coming soon. Nobody, nobody likes these games. Mm, never really eh, got into all it. Right. Mm, yeah, well, eh, might be worth checking out. Uh, Next up, uh, EA announced Need for Speed Heat. Uh, we were wondering if uh, the Need for Speed franchise was going to be coming back at all. It is. It's in Florida. Um, 
Yeah, and it's uh, very clear that uh, EA has not actually learned a goddamn thing. Nope. So. Well, there's a shock. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in this one, it's uh, you got uh, a sanctioned street racing series that you'll be participating in. And then that night, you've got the unsanctioned stuff uh, where you'll also be dealing with cops and crap like that. And in this time, the, the cops can actually take your money and potentially your car. So, uh, consequences, I guess. And completely, like, I don't know. Co- cops have always been in the Need for Speed series, but they've just kind of been a, like, you know, <laughs> the equivalent of having three lives. Uh, yeah. But here, it's like, yeah, they're continuing to double down and continuing to miss what actually has made Need for Speed really fun in the first place. Uh, so... I don't know. Maybe it, I might give this a try at some point. Maybe I'll rent it or something if I can ever. I don't have a rental store. Gamefly it probably. That'd probably be the only way I could do it, or wait for an inevitable sale. Uh, but knowing EA, then it's going to have all of these uh, surprise mechanics, as they want to call it now, loot boxes, because EA. Uh, and it's going to make it a uh, really incredibly difficult and irritating game to play. So. Uh-huh. Uh, that's where we're at with Need for Speed. I mean, visually, I can't fault it, because it looks good, but, yeah. Need for Speed always looks good. Yeah. It's like, they, it's like they realize that Underground was one of their more successful properties, and they're kind of going with that and mixing it in with Pro Street, which is something that, uh, I can, I can get behind. Uh, but it's just this whole, like, you know, us against the cops thing. It's just, it's just... Yeah. It's played out. Yeah, it really is. I, I I just want a fucking racing game. Yeah, can, can we have that, please? Yeah, is it is it that hard? You know, because uh, you know, turn ten fucked that up too. <laughs> yeah, uh, they. Uh, I'm not sure what Force of Horizon Four was, but there was some racing in there. It was hot garbage, Phil. I can tell you what it was. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. This has a nice style to it, but the rest of it just seems like yeah, yeah. Whatever. There's like, a two-minute two trailer of it if you want to watch it. But yeah, I said they're going to show gameplay at Gamescom. Hmm. Yeah. So if you need more of that to see, um, but yeah, for your situation, Phil, just pay for a month of EA Access yeah. around when it's out, and you can play a good ten hours of it for five bucks. Yeah, that uh, mm. might be a good idea. The only re- the, again, the only real reason to have uh, an EA subscription is to just give them to play their games and give them as little money as possible. Um, yeah. I, I think that's the sad state of affairs. Accurate. Yeah. Guerrilla gaming capitalism, yeah. right there. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, and moving on, uh, according to reports, uh, Evo 2019 attendees may have been exposed to the measles. Uh, yeah. Goddamn stupid. Fucking anti-faxers. I know. Seriously, come on, come on. It's like uh, we had like pretty much um, like eliminated this for however many years, and now it's becoming a real, <laughs> a real epidemic. Well, uh, people apparently want uh, encephalitis-related deaths and deafness and blindness and all sorts of other fun little uh, side effects to to happen again. Yeah. So Hey Andrew Wakefield and Jen and Oh he, he Jenny just... McCarthy burn in hell forever. Yeah. 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 
So, but, yeah, over on the World Warriors Twitter, I've been uh, sharing alerts and shit from the uh, Southern Nevada Department of Health, and it's just been a whole big mess. Hmm. Yeah. I just don't. Uh. Yeah, we just can't. That, that, that's where we are. We're just baffled by humanity at this point. It's cultish behavior, and you've got yeah. to teach people how to guard themselves against that. Hmm. And you're just going to start. It's that combination. Or- well, it's both a combination of that and like that sort of weird entitlement of like you know middle class suburban yes. families. Yes, very much so. Well, that yeah. and this whole idea that people know better than like the scientists, and and you have stupid shit like. Well, you know, what you're doing is just injecting a chemical. Yeah, so, you know, oxygen is also a chemical. Yeah. Like, I mean, you there's just so much of that where you're just like, what? Uh, the thing that bothers me the most about it is the arrogance. Like, yeah. it, it, it's like, I know better than all of these people that have studied and done all of these things. And, and like, it, and what's worse is, and, and not to take it towards a political bent, but like when you look at these, a good chunk of these same people that believe this shit are the ones that believe conspiracy theories and everything else like yep. that. They're the ones that, that believe, like for instance, I was just seeing something the other day that, and I don't, I don't even want to fucking comment on this, but like there's a bunch of shit where people are saying like the Clinton said Jeff, F, Jeffrey Epstein murdered. Like if they had that kind of reach, don't you think they would have made Hillary Clinton president? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, and and so so then the same thing when you look at like these anti-vaxxers, like, well, these doctors are just out to kill my bees. Why would they be out to do that? Yeah. What what would they gain from that? Especially those are the same people out of the other side of their mouths. They're like, we don't have a healthcare industry. We got yeah, a sick yeah. care industry. They just want you to be hurt and be sick and be everything. So they can just keep giving your money. Oh, except they want to kill all your babies. So they want to kill their yeah. customers. Is that what yeah. you're telling me? Like, yeah. You yeah. see, you see the dissonance. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so you're gonna basically have to just stop assuming people have common sense and just start requiring people to bring their vaccination papers in. Yeah, to yeah. come into the events for any. You just really. know that um, the people get mad are the ones that don't do it. So yeah, just don't let them. Well, and a lot of people don't understand too. As adults, we need to have boosters every seven years. Our NMR and Tdap mm-hmm. and all that stuff, so we're not passing on whooping cough and you know and maybe passing on uh rebella or whatever the hell to people who for whatever reason legitimately cannot get these vaccines you know because they're three months old Hmm. that's a that's a legitimate reason you can't get a vaccine or because they have leukemia or because they had a stroke as a vaccine reaction yeah or or you can also have people that have compromised immune systems people that have cancer or anything else like that you can't bring that kind of stuff around them and it it it's remarkable. Like I never thought I would live in a time where we have access essentially to all the information in the world and we're, we're more stupid now. We're willfully ignorant. Yeah. And it comes back to these people. If, if they didn't have their conspiracy theories to hang on to and their, and this whole narrative, then I almost feel like life would be too boring for them to bear. Mm-hmm. I think you because have it's the a only very good point. It, 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 they're just um, trying to project some sense of intrigue onto life. Hmm. It, 
and they're taking the the rest of us down with it. Well, it's the people who crave conflict and they're going to be subversive simply to be subversive. There's a lot of that in that in that anti-vax community. Right. And I think I think a lot of that stuff, a lot of people are are holding hands in that. And I I think the worst part about it is when you look at the whole anti-vaxxer thing, at least to me, is it's and I realize like Teresa and I are the only people on here that are parents, but Mm -hmm. it's really difficult to make decisions about your kids' health, right? Um, especially when you know people can get there's there's so many things that get thrown at you, and there's so much information out there that you don't want. I mean, you guys, I'm sure you've tried. If you've gotten sick and you try to look something up on the internet, um, either it's nothing to worry about, or you have cancer and you're going to die. Like there's mm-hmm. no middle ground to it, you know. And a lot of that comes from, I think, part of our ability to sort of parse information and figure out what's real and what's not. Well, frankly, that's also why we need to go to doctors. And then you know, I've seen people point at, well, doctors can be wrong, and they can be right. They can ask be wrong about a lot of things but they're not wrong about the vaccines not be, we have we have history you know 40 50 60 years of history of this stuff working out where we've eradicated things and now we're letting it come back because some fucking suburban mom who's on her third fucking bottle of wine at two o'clock in the afternoon after getting done watching the view or whatever is like you know what aluminum is bad and it's in this cocktail of of things that they shoot into me you know, and so therefore, you know, it causes autism or it causes that. I I have a friend who has two kids with autism and she doesn't believe this shit. Mm-mm, no. You know, and so it's it's the worst part about it for me is, is that it's done under this guise of I'm just trying to protect my children, which at a fundamental level, especially if you're a parent or if you're even just a decent human being, that's understandable. Right. But there also becomes what I think sort of comes to the forefront is also your your responsibility uh, in being a member of, of a fucking well-functioning society in that you can't also then just put everyone at danger. You're exactly. everyone in danger because of your decision for things. And that's the thing with the anti-vax movement that I find the most disturbing is it's just a giant game of pass the buck where it's like, well, I can do this, but all the other people should be doing this. Therefore, it's okay that I don't do it. And we know it doesn't work that way because we fucking saw, what was it? There was an outbreak of measles at at Disneyland, you know, which that hasn't happened, I don't think, ever. Hmm. And now you're seeing this stuff where people at Evo might be exposed to it. Like everyone, for the most part, you know, at some point in their lives wants to go out, wants to do something, wants to be social and everything else like that. And these people are making that dangerous, and the worst part is it's it's dangerous in an untraceable way. Like, and I'm not trying to conflate the two, so please don't don't take it that way. But for instance, if you compare this to somebody going up and shooting up something, well, you know who the perpetrator is, mm. right? They yeah. typically mm-hmm. find that out. They typically catch that person or they kill them. They make them be held responsible for their decisions. We have an unchecked group in our society that's going out and putting a whole bunch of people in danger by essentially because okay, well, I don't want to do this. So therefore, I'm going to expose this person. This person might go home uh, to their girlfriend and expose them to it. And that girlfriend might expose their nieces and nephews to it. And so you just create this horrible chain where you're going to get a whole bunch of people sick and you can't you can't hold anybody responsible for nope. it. Um, yep. And that's the scariest part about it. And it's all being done under this guise of, well, I'm doing this to protect my children, which, again, most people would go, I, I understand why you would do that. But I think at this point what we're really dealing with in, in Western society as a whole is knowing what's real and what's not, you know, like we, we, you look at all the stuff that's happened with the president you look at these evangelicals, everybody else that's, that is 
supporting him, you know, um, and again, I'm not not trying to get a political. I mean, this is just a, a, a no, fact. This is a of completely re- valid discussion. Yeah, it's just a fact of reality. These are the same people that are saying that video games are causing people to um, to do these things, like what happened in El Paso. Um, these are the same group of people, these politicians and these people that support these politicians. I, I watched what's his name, Kevin McCarthy, the the House representative, go on Fox News and say um, that. Most every other place that didn't have mass shootings like this doesn't really have the amount of video games that we do, including uh-huh. Japan, which was hysterical. <laughs> well, um, he didn't. I don't think he actually said Japan. I think that that's been misreported. Oh, okay. He just omitted that oh, because okay. that was like you got to be fit kidding. the narrative. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so yeah, no, that, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, I remember the clip because they yeah the the stuff got brought up, especially because they had another gamer on there that was talking about it, and he just kind of ducked it. Um, but yeah, no, but but the the thing is too is that you have a group of people in this country, and it's a large group that are, are essentially being fed a narrative um, about these things, and they can't they can't self correct. And the the worst thing to do, and I'm sure you guys all know this, is when you're when you're dealing with someone like that that feels a certain way, it is almost impossible to dislodge that and yeah. kind of pull them away from that and go, well, this is the actual reality of what is going on here. You know, and and that's scary. And that that goes back to the thing where we don't know. I think a lot of these people don't know what's real and what isn't. And that's really, really scary. Like, look, look, look what we just talked about, Teresa. You're like, well, that's been misreported. Okay, cool. Well, I I take your word for it and all that. Whereas if somebody else might just fucking dig their fucking heels in and go, well, no, you know, a lot of people will do that. Right. You know, and it's that is that is scary. And we see it. It's amazing to me, particularly through, through the video game lens. We went through this in the nineties. Like we did. And, 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 New you freaking know, Gingrich. And, we, and we've already lived this. Yeah, we've been through this. This is a fucking. Well, we have on our mantles the political and judicial careers of so many people who have tried coming after us. Right. Oh, like, what was we that? know how this is going to end? Who was that other guy? Jack Thompson. Oh, Jack. Yeah, he got. No, 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 no. The other one, the little, the little guy with the white hair. Oh, are you talking about um Joe Lieberman. Lieberman. Lieberman? Thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah, we we we've been through this shit. <laughs> well, but but and that goes back to the whole cognitive dissonance thing and not knowing what's real. Like those those exactly. same people that are that are blaming video games for this are the ones that are like, no, you'll never take my guns. No, you should never regulate this. No, you mm-hmm. should never do anything else like that. Like you know this because you know when somebody wants to do this, they're just going to do it. Like it it all it really comes down to at the end of the day is. And I hate to I hate to be this way, and I hate to to kind of you know paint with such a broad brush, but it comes down to I think with a lot of these folks is that I want the be I want the ability to be an asshole to you, and restrict the things that you like and the things that you like to do without there being any consequence to myself. But I also don't want the the reverse to apply. I want to be able to do whatever I want, and I expect these other people to be responsible so I can be irresponsible. And that that's what it comes down to. Look at like I can't particularly with all the stuff that we're seeing happening now with the environment and everything else that it's mm-hmm. difficult for me to believe that any of these people believe any of the things that they're actually saying when it comes to what they're trying to restrict, whether it's video games, whether it's reproductive rights or anything else like that. All it comes down to is control and setting themselves up to not be responsible for the atrocities that are happening in this yeah. in, yep. in our country. If somebody truly wanted to solve some of these problems like uh, the gun debate, which which video games always gets dragged into whenever there's any violence, then then do something about it. Like we now historically video games have been around for a long time and you don't see any other country having this problem. And the big difference there is the access to guns. And I say that as a gun owner. 
So I was raised in the South. I grew up learning how to shoot, you know, and I have, I've got two guns in my house and that's not ever going to change. But if somebody came to me and was like, if we wanted to take this away from you, but it would mean that we could save a million lives a year, I'd be like, here, take them both. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody comes in my house, I'll just hit them with a fucking baseball bat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're going to have to regulate baseball bats. Yeah. And and that's the thing. I mean, there's just, there's so much tied into this and there's so much we can unpack from it. But, um, I, I really have to wonder one thing I do, I am curious to see what's going to happen is like, say, what if they try this in like 10 years, right? Where even some of the people that are ideologically completely different from us are also going to the same ones that you guys see playing call of duty. Like, do you think any, any congressmen are really going to congressmen are really going to be able to pull out the video game thing? Because I felt a distinct difference this time. McCarthy pulled this compared to what they did every other time because everybody was clutching their pearls in the past when video games would get brought up. But when McCarthy and the other people, including the president, brought it up, everybody was like, not this again, motherfucker. Even people that don't like video games were like, no, that's not what it is. Even the mainstream media was looking at it, was was reacting like, you got to be shitting me. (laughs) And good. Like that should tell you that should tell you how how the tide has turned yep. on that issue. Yeah. So. Because anyway. remember they used to milk that story for all it was worth. Oh yeah, the day. The video games was the worst thing ever, no matter what and all that. And again, sorry, I didn't mean to get everybody off on a tangent. But oh, it's that's just, okay. But no, it's, let's it's also keep podcasting. in mind. Let's keep in mind how much money video games makes now yeah. compared to in the nineties. Yeah. Speaking is of money, by the way, bread and butter. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, speaking of money, that segues very uh, nicely into our next story. Uh, So there have been, I guess, a trade war with China uh, that may or may not be happening, depending on who you ask. Uh, Well, uh, there were plans to implement a 25% tariff on electronics uh, made in China. Which, needless to say, would be very uh, detrimental to companies like Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft, uh, who yeah. manufacture their stuff there. Uh, As an aside, they were also going to do this on board games. Yeah, yeah board for some reason. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> board games, and the, there was there was like uh, some other thing I can't, can't remember. But yeah, anyway, it's, it's they, they make these tariffs make no sense. Uh, no, because they're not actually helping anything. And now uh, they do pissing matches between uh, government leaders. So no, you know, especially when one of them is China, uh, who basically, if they wanted to, actually could cut themselves off from the rest of the world and be completely fine. I'm pretty sure there is historical precedence about that. Is there not? Yeah, probably is. <laughs> uh, uh, so that being said, uh, at least until the end of the holiday season, uh, these tariffs are not going to go into effect. Uh, which means that the console manufacturers get a uh, another holiday season of the same prices. And, well, that also means that uh, people who are shopping for these consoles are not going to be <laughs> gouged by Gouge, 25%. Yeah. Uh, and that is good news indeed. That is good news indeed, and that's yeah. just a delaying tactic, because I honestly don't think these tariffs are ever going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. I think I think that the thing that's scary about it from a video game standpoint is is this tariff thing and this whole kerfluffle with it. The the part of it that stands out to me, and I don't know if you guys have talked about this or, or you know in passing, but 
the worst part about this when it comes to like games or anything else, any manufacturing, right? Like so much of what we're doing these days is based in electronics, whether it's our phone, whether it's our game systems and things like that, is that it, it lays bare that the president doesn't really stand for anything. Like you get into this pissing war with China and what's what's the end goal, right? And then you look at the way, you know, because if he was really serious about this and him saying like tariffs were because I've heard of one of the things from his rallies the other night where he was like, we're making so much money from these tariffs, which is ridiculous. Tariffs mm-hmm. are a tax that we pay, right? Um, but stepping back from this and blinking from it means that he doesn't really have any agenda at all. And what's, what it's really doing, um, especially if you claim to be somebody that's pro-business, is it's making a lot of these companies not know how to conduct their business. Like I was reading an article just the other day where Apple was already looking into um, ways to move their manufacturing out of China if these tariffs went into place because – there's there's only so much that these companies are going to be able to absorb. And conversely, what happens too, um, and Phil, I'm sure you probably put this in the show notes, we're not going to see console price drops because of this. Like we're at the point nope. in most of these consoles' life cycles where they should be sub 200. And mm-hmm. we're not going to see that strictly because these guys don't know in six months how much it's going to cost to manufacture this stuff. Mm. And that's that's affects everything as far as gaming goes. It even affects where where they get um, if you're still buying physical, where the discs are being made. You know, remember remember last year when he got into that pissing match with Mexico? Yeah, yeah. That would have that would have raised prices on games because a good chunk of disc based games are manufactured in Mexico. Hmm. And then he tried to pull that shit with Canada. We also have a lot of games that are manufactured in Canada, so. You, what you just do is you have a guy behind the wheel that doesn't seem to ideologically stand for anything, and it's making – it's affecting every business that you could touch, political or not. Like there's nothing political about Nintendo, you know? But right. the president doing these kinds of things without any fucking goal in mind will affect gamers. <laughs> well, and that – you know, a lot of people uh, gripe about companies having mission statements. Well, if this motherfucker had a mission statement, which he doesn't. He's simply pandering to his base and doing whatever he thinks is going to get him the most adulation because he is simply looking for his vanity stroking ego thing. There's no mission statement for his entire administration. There's no they're they're not working towards anything at all whatsoever. Right. Well, you know what what freaks me out, too, is that we're talking about the price of things like games and systems and all of that. Do you guys remember after Katrina? Do you guys remember what happened to gas prices where everything yes. shot up to five, mm-hmm. six, seven dollars? Yes. Before that, it was mm-hmm. a dollar twenty-nine, and now we never see it go below two dollars. No. no, no, I guarantee you that that's going to be the kind of thing that you would also see the manufacturing uh, industry yeah. use to raise prices on products across the board, and then they'll never go back down because of the stuff that Trump is doing. Yeah. Oh, mark um, it down because I think you just predicted it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's and, and, and it's not conspiratorial or anything else like that. It is based on if a company can make more money from you, they absolutely will. And so if we get to a point where the market is willing to accept a certain price point, they will never go down from that because they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see that across the board. So if he keeps starting trade wars with every one of our allies, I guarantee you'll see game prices go up because, you know, Bobby Kotick ain't going to eat that extra money. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I mean, fuck, we saw what happened with the Affordable Fucking Care Act. Like, I work with companies that deal with healthcare, and a lot of these greedy ass insurance companies use the ACA as a reason to raise their prices, even yeah. though they, they had no actual reason to do so. But at least the ACA had checks in it where they could just gouge the fuck out of their customers, and some of that money came back. You know, we saw where, where the. The fucking CEO of Papa John's is like, well, I'm not giving anybody health care because it would, it would raise the price of a pizza like 34 cents. Mm-hmm. We're looking at a much a much similar thing, but there's there's nothing being given to the citizens of America in exchange for that, that trade war. We're not getting any more money. We're pissing off our allies, and that's going to affect regular everyday products that you buy. It's also going to affect how we do business in this country. We can't sell our soybeans to anybody because that market has dried up because of the the, the shit that Trump has gotten in. So you're going to have long-term economic effects that are going to affect gaming. They're going to affect the monitors that we buy, the TVs that we buy, the consoles, the games, everything else like that. Like This industry has also been looking for a long time as a, for a reason to be able to fucking jack prices up on everything, and I think Trump's actually going to give it to them. Yeah. yeah, on a silver platter. Yeah, yeah. We, we've often said uh, on on this show it's kind of become a catchphrase. Uh, you know how we get the French Revolution? Well, this is how yeah. you get the French Revolution. French Revolution, yeah. <laughs> how much more? Yeah. How much more? Yeah. So, uh, moving on from there, uh, Ion Fury came out this week, uh, and uh, to some pretty good reviews. Um, apparently their developers have been engaging in some very interesting, uh, discussions on their discord. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotten pretty bad on there. Um, not really surprised by it just from the, the origins of these people coming from like Duke Nukem and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. This is like a lot of these people are 3d realms, right? Right. Yeah. Three realms is publishing this game mm-hmm. and yeah, so particularly involves a lot of people from the developer team, uh, particularly one named Terminix, uh, who ended up uh, saying a lot of things that are transphobic, uh, like a lot of common misconceptions about uh, the rate of suicides after transitioning, uh, things like that, and sort of people started calling him out on uh, Discord and their Twitter, which is run by... I think this guy, and basically started uh, using excuses like, uh, we don't really use this account, because people started pointing out how they were following uh, various GG accounts, Gamergate accounts, and some call like SJW nonsense, uh, stuff like that, and uh, liking some of the things they've posted. And so they're like, well, we don't really uh, you know, research who we're following on Twitter. They're just follow people that post cool doom or quake stuff and it's like oh you're not you can easily know what the hell a twitter account called sjw nonsense means uh as well as you you're running a essentially a corporate account for your game for your developer uh account and it's like you should be managing who you're following not using it like it's a personal account for you to post or follow people that share the similar kind of things you uh believe in like awful things you yeah. believe in and yeah that's kind of been going over the weekend like he was arguing with lots of people it's like arguing like all that same kind of stuff uh to which they kind of posted the the fake apology like i'm sorry if uh not sure if i have i'm it sorry here. if you were offended yeah yeah essentially 
Mm-hmm. It's it's it's, uh, uh, it's like a yeah. I definitely now. apologize if anything I said was interpreted as hateful to any particular group of people. Uh, and I know uh, this bit's Brandon's going to be uh, annoyed about is he claimed that he has Asperger's, and that is the reason for this. And it's like, no, that doesn't make you an asshole. No. You're already an asshole. Mm-hmm. You, you don't get a get-out-of-this-shit-free card here. No. Yeah. You made your choice. Own it. Nope. And I think constantly they're like, oh, you don't have the context. And like people are like, it's a Discord. You go into it publicly. Uh, you can go look up all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Unless the Search post, for the user the terminates. deleted, you can see them. Yeah, yeah, as far as I can see, they haven't deleted them. Because... Mm. Uh, as a result of their sort of viewpoints, you can tell that a lot of people who have been drawn to this uh, Discord have mm-hmm. similar opinions. So sharing mm-hmm. all that sort of shit uh, to it, as well as developers getting involved, uh, adding to it and all that. So yeah, that's uh, a pretty overall shitty situation. Yeah, so, which, is and, a, which is a bummer, because the, the game itself is actually really solid. Yeah. Um, Considering it's you know built on a the Duke Nukem 3D engine, basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, great job. Why 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 do great projects have to be like uh, made by horrible people? Um, this is not a this is not a new trend. No, yeah, yeah. It's it's really it's horrible, really really it? hard. Yeah, it's like uh, mm-hmm. you know, Ender's Game may be one of the best science fiction novels ever written. However. Yeah. It's written by Orson Scott Card, who is just an incredibly gifted writer, but also just a terrible human being. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes the the products they're making go against the opinions they seem to espouse. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, I just recently found uh, out about uh, Lauren Lanning is a shitty person. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much, uh, which is odd, because Oddworld is all about anti-capitalism and all that sort of shit. It's like, how the hell is this coming out of you? <laughs> yeah. 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 Now that, that's one of the most difficult things. Like when you, when you consume, you know, uh, any sort of product, anything that, that, that is artistic. And then you just find out how, how shitty the person is. Like, I think, I think to a certain extent, like for some things, unfortunately, if you really want to enjoy some kind of work, it's sometimes it's better to not know about the people that are making yes. it. Yes. Yeah. It'll just, That's especially it'll just possible if you're a Dragon Quest fan like Lee, because mm-hmm. uh, we've all heard of uh, oh, Mr. Sugimori. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, the thing about that is, is ironic part for me is because it's definitely something I'm very aware of with him. Um, and but in a certain way, and this might sound bad, in a lot of ways, I'm able to. I'm able to take a look at somebody like that that's that fucking old and is that backwards and just go, well, he's just an old stupid fuck, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but the other part of it too, though, and I don't know if I'm different. I don't really like Dragon Quest music. Hmm. It's not something that that is, um, I guess, it, uh, a, a portion of the game that that I really enjoy. It's very ancillary. It's very secondary to me. It's just background. Half the time I'm playing on my DS, I have the sound off. Hmm. So. Um, you know, besides like the the usual stuff, like you know, knowing the fucking opening theme and all of that shit, I've I've never found Dragon Quest music to be compelling, and I didn't think it really got very good until Dragon Quest Eight, um, and then the music in Nine wasn't anything to write home about, and I never played Ten. So, but I think for some of that stuff, I'm also able to really kind of just section off whatever those people are about, 
and, and still sort of enjoy their works. But then there are other people that, that go way beyond the pale. I was a big fan of a band that was popular in the late 2000s called The Lost Prophets. Hmm. Really like those guys. Oh, the first shit. Album, the first album had a, had a song called fucking Shinobi versus fucking Dragon Ninja. And I was like, holy shit, all right, these guys are what's up. They had another song they're talking about the fucking Goonies. Like, this is awesome. And then, like, I think it was uh, I think three or four years ago, fucking lead singer was fucking um, – was uh, thrown in jail for 15 years for raping babies. God damn. Yeah, so oh, like, yeah. and that's something I can't divorce myself from. As much as I've liked their music, it's like, yeah, I can't. And I, nope. that was one of the things like, I felt horrible for the band like because they didn't know about it. You know, so yeah. then their their careers and their livelihoods are completely fucked by that. Um, but then when, when I compare that to something like with Sugiyama, like I look at part of it as, as a cultural thing, and then just I also think that you can believe things that are horrible, but it's also a lot different than raping a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so I can I can sort of pull back from that. And um, I mean, I'm still somewhat conflicted on Michael Jackson, but I fucking love the Bad album. You know, but it's still one of those things I don't go back. I don't really listen to it. I don't. You know. And it, it's it's kind of shitty in the age of social media. Not shitty in terms of like finding these bad things out. Like horrible people should fucking have you know they should be dealt with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever whatever punishment fits the crime, so to speak. But um, it does make it a lot more difficult to to kind of be out there and enjoy things. But I also sometimes wonder too if if some people are are um, and not in these specific instances that we're talking about. But I also noticed that. Lately, particularly in gamer culture, um, it's really ironic the the stuff that it seems like gamers are willing to put up with as far as the behavior of some people but are completely uh, unable to get by or to deal with when it comes to other people. And, and this whole like – what is I think what, – what, what do the kids call it these days? Cancel culture? Like mm-hmm. I also just – I just have also the firm belief that we – we're all people as well. You know, and I do think people should have the ability to explain themselves. And like in the case of like Sugiyama, he's just a fucking old, decrepit racist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But again, it also comes with how I'm interacting with his work. I don't really ever listen to the music. Mm, yeah. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things. Now, like if like, for example, like a band that I really love thrice, like if they came out that they were a bunch of fucking racist assholes or something, you know, that would be a different story. But I think it also comes with how you interact with that stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, and for like me, the CSU Nordic thing with uh, HN was sort of a big thing. Yeah. And just like I saw how people throw fits around like Epic Game Store and microtransactions and all that. And like that thing was a big thing for like a weekend, and then uh, now people are like, "Well, they did their thing." It's like, no, they didn't really do anything. They just threw it under a rug, and right. I'm assuming that most people skip uh, happily, like ignore that part of it and it's like you know i'm done buying their games even though i'm excited about that new darksiders game and uh some of their other yeah. stuff and it's like well you know what well, it doesn't it suck too that gunfire got bought out now by thq and like yeah. the, like I, I think i would be at least for me like eight chan of course if anybody's paying attention to it is also the fucking area where the fucking el paso shooter fucking posted his manifesto three of the last four uh Domestic terrorists, let's call them what they are. Yeah. Um, Hell posted, yeah. posted insane, crazy shit on 8chan. Um, and so yeah. then to have a game company do that, like, I would, I can almost legitimately believe almost that those guys that were doing it just didn't know. Because, like, when you look at something like Darksiders or whatever, to me, that doesn't scream like white nationalism. No. You know, but, but you also have to take in the overall effect of it in terms of, 
what does this actually look like? And then especially with what we know, 8chan is also a huge place for child pornography. You know, like somebody over there in their fucking marketing department should have been like, hey, dog, hold up. Let's Google this. That was their marketing department. Yeah, exactly. But there should like some intern, somebody should have fucking known. Um, and yeah, and I, you know, I think you can also point to cultural differences where some people don't understand. Like I, I just being in the fighting game community, and Pat, I know you can you can um, you can cop to this too. I know you've seen it. There are a lot of people in the fighting game community that that come from other countries that simply do not understand why racism is such a big deal here. They don't they yeah. don't get it because they were never exposed to it. I've been to tournaments where fucking. Where like a, a guy from the Netherlands and then another guy from Japan and Korea and stuff dropped the N word, and, and you know, and it was like the kind of thing where like you hear the fucking record get, you know, the the needle gets scratched off the record, like, Err! you know, and those people legitimately didn't know because all they've been exposed to is like this is how it's used on the internet and it's not a bad thing or whatever. So I can almost to a certain extent believe that you know some of these guys from THQ Nordic just didn't fucking understand it but then afterwards when you come to that knowledge and you don't apologize for it yeah like the very least they could have done is like put out more heartfelt uh, apologies donate to charities involved with child sex track we didn't know these people were that fucking awful and we fucked up and yes they could definitely do that stuff chris they could donate mm-hmm. that would show that they cared but like even just something as heartfelt as coming out like we just didn't know and that was our yeah. bad, and we fucked that up. It's not going to happen again. You know, this is what we're trying to do. We're going to rectify it. We're going to make sure this stuff doesn't ever happen. You can do those things, even without donating to charity. But just the fact that they didn't really come out and do anything. Well, I wonder if that also is cultural too, especially business culture. So in America, there's there's always the oh my god, you're to blame. In Japan, there's abso-fucking-lutely, oh, my God, you're to blame. You brought shame upon us all. Right. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but they'll, fuck, they'll have somebody resign from a company exactly. to take the fall for shit. Even though yeah. that person who resigns didn't do shit wrong, that is simply the way that it works. But I, And that's, that is their company culture in that country. What is it the same way there? I don't know that answer. Yeah, and it's... I don't know, so they may like, not, again, they may not think they've done anything wrong by not issuing some sort of PR statement. Yeah, effectively, the, the CEO of the overall THQ Nordic, which I think they're changing their name at some point. <laughs> I forget <laughs> what. Bad idea here. <laughs> I'm not sure what their name is going to be, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I know they announced it recently, but mm. yeah, essentially, that whole thing is... Uh, yeah, they're from Austria, mm. the overall company, uh, which, yeah, is like, you guys know about Nazis and all this shit. Yeah, you'd, you'd think a mm-hmm. you guys, like Austria is, would have some experience with that. Yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. you guys know what to do with Nazis. Mm. You know how, like, Germany feels about Nazis. Like, a lot of your audience is in Europe. Mm. And... World War II was a big deal in Europe. Yeah, kind I of mean, uh, the Nazis at one point, I mean, they legit – a third of Western Europe. They – a lot of people – and there are a lot of people who still have that in living memory. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you would think they would know better. Yeah. So. It's like don't deal with fucking Nazis. Yeah. yeah right. It's an easy PR win. Yeah. It's a fuck Nazis. Yeah. Their game is centered around that from Bethesda. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
so we'll move on to our next story here, which is kind of a quick one. Uh, Square Enix kind of revealed the graphical changes for Final Fantasy VIII Remastered in a meme post. And oh, if you know the, uh, you're the best-looking guy here meme. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they basically did that showing the new version, and uh, it, it zooms in to uh, Squall's face. Yeah. Yeah. And it shows, oh, he doesn't look like they actually a did it that it doesn't look like pixelated ass. <laughs> well, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's a bit be- that's a bit better. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. This this remaster might actually be worth looking at. Um, it's like the first one they're putting like more effort into versus just hey, we got the PC version of Final Fantasy VII from. 20 some years ago we'll just put this out unchanged yeah yeah we managed to get it running uh so yeah let's ship it <laughs> so, uh that's this is still coming out later this year so yep. yeah i want to possibly a physical edition on the way yeah i might get it too because i haven't played that game in ages god ages like well over 15 20 years yeah so yeah i've got like three copies of it sitting on my shelf somehow and, oh my god mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the last time I looked, there were two. So, oh god, are they well, multiplying? Came from, but <laughs> oh, and the lights go out. <laughs> yeah, and a f- copy of Final Fantasy VIII likes another copy of Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, there's a third co- copy yeah. of Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I know where one of them came from, but I can't explain the third. <laughs> one of them pulls out their disc and sticks yeah. it into the other's holder. <laughs> <laughs> There's your show title, Phil. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't even. Uh. <laughs> Moving on, Force of Water Sports Six being delisted in, in September on September fifteenth. So yeah. yeah, I called this yesterday or last week. Yeah, that they were putting that up on uh, Games with Gold or two weeks ago. Yeah, the, uh, no. they're putting up on Games with Gold because uh, it's going to get delisted soon, like they did with Five yeah. and Force Horizon Two and stuff like that. And so, yeah, there's a sale going on. I think ends tomorrow. So if you want to get any of the DLC for that, uh, you can. Yeah, it's like What's five it? bucks for all the DLC that they put out. Hmm. Yeah, and the game itself is, uh, I think it's what, ten bucks? So Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so if you don't already have it, then get it. Uh, I've got it, so I'm good. Uh, hopefully, for well, Forza Motorsport Seven is still current, so that's not getting released anytime soon. Probably next year, though. But who knows? So. Uh, other Microsoft cancellations. Uh, they canceled their super duper graphics update for Minecraft. Um, yeah, I would have expected a little bit more outcry than there actually was with this one. Yeah, it's kind of annoying just because that was. Like, Crackdown 3 was, like, one of their announcements for the launch of the Xbox One X. Mm. And, like, Crackdown 3 came and went with nothing. <laughs> and well, the happened. weird thing is, yeah, <laughs> Crackdown 3 at least released. Mm. Uh, it's a thing you can play uh, with this. Uh, their quote here is, uh, we realize this is disappointing for some of you. There's a lot of enthusiasm for Super Duper from inside and outside the studio. But unfortunately, we aren't happy with how the pack performed across devices. Which is weird because I think it was only announced for Xbox One X. Hmm. I guess maybe the Windows 10 version too. Mm. Yeah. But it's like, what? Why? How is this happening? Is it maybe just the original Xbox One? Could be like it wasn't working well for that. Yeah. Or stuff like that. Which is like, then just don't. 
Don't, put it don't on promise there. it's going to be running for that very well. Like, yeah, there's, I think, ways they could have gotten around this. Mm-hmm. Like, guess what? That Xbox One sucks. <laughs> if you want this, get an X, S or an X. Yeah. Never mind oh, that we sold a, a special edition a Xbox One S. Now too. Yeah. yeah. I, I was at the Microsoft store yesterday, and they've got a trade-in uh, promotion going on too, where you could trade in your own your old Xbox and upgrade it. Yeah. yeah. So maybe yeah. maybe they'll gear up towards doing something like that. Yeah. Where they Man. start phasing out. Feel bad for people that still just have the original Xbox One. Mm. That thing's huge. Mm-hmm. And it sucks. <laughs> I, I used to have one of those, but um, it started turning itself on for no apparent reason. Yeah. Well, mine's been doing that for ages. Yeah. That's because it's trying to take over your house and show the rest of the house who's boss. <laughs> yeah. the, X, the original Xbox One lives by prison rules. It just shows up and beats the fuck out of everybody to make it their bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it does have that connect port, so it's got that going for it. But, yeah. Uh, last of the news stories for the week, uh, Epic Game Store has been doing some improvements. Uh, they've rolled out um, better store pages for uh, for the products, which is, well, good, because now yeah. it doesn't look like hot garbage anymore. So that's, that's a nice improvement. Uh, cloud saves, they actually have them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for more games than just the free stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's improving, and uh, of course uh, they also added uh, account link for Humble Store. So if you get yeah. stuff on Humble, you can get it on your Epic account now too. That is cool. Yeah. 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 It would be interesting if they did the what's the thing that GOG has the the Steam account link thing. Connect. Yeah. Yeah. If mm. they could do something like that. Yeah. Obviously, people would be upset because oh, they're getting my Steam info, sort of thing. And it's like to give you free games. Mm. The free versions that are on Epic Game Store. Yeah, uh, I would really like it if they started doing that. Uh, knowing Epic, you know, they'll probably would end up doing it. But yeah, or you just wait until it goes free. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of what, what are the free games this week that I'm not going to play? Hyperlight Drifter and uh, Mutant Year Zero. So yeah. I'd be happy if they gave me some shit I didn't own 35 different ways. <laughs> what you you have Hyperlight Drifter? Mm-hmm. And here's your- on PC, on PC uh, for Hyperlight Drifter, I have that on PC and on PS4. Mm-hmm. So, Mutant Year Zero, I didn't have, so I, yeah, I got it. That's I'm a good game to have. Yeah, I'm just getting them all, and uh, you know, I, I'm at the point now where I, I like, I, I'm accepting of the the Epic Game Store. Um, so that's an improvement, I guess. Um. I'm still not at the point where... Well, actually, I kind of am. I have bought one thing off the Epic Game Store. Just one. And that was Tet- you get? Tetris Effect. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. So, so, uh, so that's our Epic Game Store update. And now we get to the Genesis block of the show. Uh, so we know that the Genesis Mini is coming out uh, September 19th. Um, impressions yeah. have started tr- trickling out. Uh, Game yeah, their video... Embargo is ridiculous. Yeah. Hey, you can do a 15-minute video of games that are 30 years old. Yeah. yeah 50 it's like, years. geez, I can't find video of Sonic the Hedgehog on YouTube anymore. <laughs> I need your uh, your embargoed video. Yeah. Show me that. Yeah, so there's that. Uh, I mean, uh, there's a bunch of them that have been circulating. Like uh, GameSack did one. Spawn Wave did one. 
uh, RGT85 did one, uh, Modern yeah. Vintage Gamer, My Life in Gaming, uh, basically all of the like uh, retro focused type channels seem to have getting be getting seeded with uh, with these uh, units. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking some of these are kind of pre-production because uh, one of GameSack's controllers didn't actually work uh, when they got it. Whoops. So that was kind of a problem. Uh, but the, the impressions that I'm hearing is that it's uh, really solid. Um, Sound-wise, it's fine for the most part. Thunder Force 3 has a little bit of an issue, uh, but it's nothing like, you know, just it's not ear-bleeding or anything like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if these are, if this is just an issue with the pre-production software and, uh, the final versions will actually be, you know, a little bit better. So we don't know, uh, hacking, uh, well, uh, Dimitri over at MVG is already looking into that <laughs> because that's mm-hmm. what he does. Um, yeah, this is the guy that has ported doom to, um, everything, uh, <laughs> including the switch. Like, yeah, he, t- he said it t- took him 45 minutes to port doom to the switch. So, yeah. but Anyways, yeah. Uh, the thing, I, the cool thing I did see is that if you turn the system language to Japanese, you get the Japanese ROMs for each of the games. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting uh, because it means you will actually be able to play the uh, completed version of Sonic the Hedgehog if you play the Japanese one. So uh, I don't think there's any. Was there an extra level in the Japanese version? I can't quite recall, but I know there was. Uh, there were improved graphics. There were some extra lines of scaling, and I think there was a little bit of an improvement in the music there too. So um, that's a nice feature to have. Uh, I wonder if that will apply with the Mega Drive Mini too. If you you get that and you set your language to English, if you get the English versions, probably hmm. would make sense. Yeah, hmm. I'd assume it's the same units, just different uh, housing. Yeah, for each yeah. region. And different ROMs, because uh, the Japanese version has a, a few ROMs that uh, the American version doesn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's actually looking pretty good, but yeah. yeah. i got to get in on that. Yeah. yeah. For eight, for 80 bucks, it looks like a very solid console. Well, you, you might oh, wanna, yeah. You might want to pick up a six-button pad, though, if you want to play Street Fighter. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, the hacking, which is inevitable, so... Uh, but yeah, the Genesis is 30 years old, and uh, not many people remember that uh, the launch lineup for the Genesis was shit. Um, yeah. So it had uh, Tommy Lasorda Baseball, Altered Beast, Last Battle, Alex Kidd in the Enchanted Castle, a uh, classic. And that was supposed to be their system seller. Yeah. Yeah. That was the flagship. Yeah. Alter Beast was dope, though. Yeah. And Space Harrier 2 and uh, Thunder Force 2 and Ghouls and Ghosts. Well, the nice thing about um, Altered Beast was just the fact that they were actually cramming an arcade game onto the console, which at the mm-hmm. time was mind-blowing. Yeah. it's uh, Well, that's it's early on in the Genesis. That's what it was selling itself as, was yeah. uh, getting as close to the arcade as you could. Um so you got uh, you know a pretty decent version of Altered Beast, and that was followed later on by stuff like Golden Axe and uh, a pretty piss poor version of Afterburner. Um, mm-hmm. What other? Yeah, the Shadow Dancer, which was a completely different game than the arcade version, and was actually better on the Genesis. Uh, Revenge of Shinobi, which wasn't an arcade. Super game. Hang On, yeah. Super Hang On, which was pretty solid. The uh, the console version of that was had a career mode that was actually pretty fun to go through. Uh, yeah, so early on in the Genesis, it was interesting because it kind of focused a lot on 
uh, you know, arcade ports. Um, and uh, as it went on, you kind of saw like the the variety in the library just expand. Uh, you saw Fantasy oh. Star Two show up. You saw a whole bunch of uh, like RPGs from other other companies, but Square was not one of those companies that supported the Genesis naturally. Well, weren't they um, pretty much owned by Nintendo at that point, and only started to break away around the mid '90s? Well, they were never owned by Nintendo, but they kind of had an agreement that they were uh, just going to publish on Nintendo. They were under contract. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So, but yeah. So, so one of the one of the things that like we've all had experience with the Genesis. Uh, we know the kind of games it plays. But I I think the really interesting part about the Genesis was just the the mystique that they kind of built up around it. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of those incidents, like and we're talking about Buster Douglas because. Um, Oh, you guys, Lord. you guys remember how this happened? <laughs> okay, so wasn't this originally like it was a game that was originally, I think it was called like Final Punch or something? Yeah, it was called something Final Blow. Like... It was an arcade version. It was an arcade port that was done by Taito. Yeah, I actually and, rather liked it. Yeah, yeah. Was... And what ended up happening was that um, in I think it was 1991. Uh, you know, this was like shortly after the release. Uh, well, was this shortly after or shortly before the release of? I think it was shortly after the release of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Um, and then in 1991, Buster Douglas kicked Mike Tyson's ass and became heavyweight champion. So they came up with the idea, hey, let's take Buster Douglas, let's slap his face on this game we've already made and put it out there. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, like right going up to the release of that game, well, the game was supposed to come out after uh, he defended his title against Evander Holyfield. Mm-hmm. Well, we know what happened then. <laughs> yeah, he got his ass kicked by Amanda Holyfield. <laughs> yeah, because he came out, he looked kind of flabby, kind of uh, kind of sluggish, and he got his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. So you know, it was too late for Sega to like you know retcon that or yeah. the, the I mean the games had shipped. I, I had already. a copy of that game. It was um, it was actually the first game that I bought from a, a local outfit here that's still around called Fun Unlimited. Yeah. Uh, the day I discovered that store, I picked it up. Yeah. Uh, so what they did, which was uh, I kind of one of the brilliant things about uh, about Sega in the day was, well, this could be very damaging to us. Uh, so uh, Al, Al Nelson, basically, this, who was head of marketing over there at the time, decided that uh, they're just going to lean into it and just turn it into like a little inside joke, uh, and uh, it worked. <laughs> it it kind of started to cement Sega as like that little roguish underdog that uh, you kind of wanted to root for because you had like, well, okay, this could have been a total shit show. And instead it's like, yeah, okay, this game is being endorsed by a guy who got knocked out in the third round, but it's still a decent game. So, yeah. And it was, I actually kind of missed playing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of the games I've got on my uh, little uh, DIY Genesis Mini. So, nice. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, one of the other things that uh, Sega was famous for back in the day was their Disney games. Uh, if you remember that. 
the first I one absolutely do. Yeah. Man. Fucking Castle of Illusion. Come on, son. Lion King and Aladdin, man. Those games. Fucking. Are... Did you up, any, up there anybody play Quackshot? Quackshot? Yes, Quackshot. <laughs> yeah, so there were a lot of those, and well, that continued until like you know, you Pocahontas, you had Toy Story, you had a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, and it it kind of brought in, I guess it brought in the kids. <laughs> so uh-huh. yeah, they did a, they did a good job there, and it, it didn't hurt that the games themselves were actually quite fun to play. Yeah, uh, for they were probably like one of the few instances of consisting putting out tie-ins that were actually really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, Disney was pretty strict about who they licensed to back then. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it was them and Capcom, really. Yeah. yeah. So they had that. Uh, it, unfortunately, they uh, Sega had outsourced the development of uh, Fantasia, which is why that thing turned out to be a clusterfuck. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they they did they did it themselves for World of Illusion, thankfully. <laughs> but, yeah, the most interesting part to me about the Genesis, because it was also my first uh, 16-bit console, and you guys sort of touched on it a little bit earlier, is that Sega really, Sega's marketing was, was fantastic. Like, they came in and they, they really slapped Nintendo in the face. You know, Nintendo has always been a super conservative company. We see it now. Um, whereas it, it felt like Sega had, was really able to, to sort of tap into the fact that they knew there were people that grew up playing Nintendo but wanted to play something different. They wanted to play, for lack of a better term, something more mature, something that would appeal to these teenagers who are 15, 16 years old, people that went to the arcades like we did and wanted to play something that was similar to a fast arcade game at home. Um, and that is absolutely you – can, you can absolutely see that difference in the console versions of Mortal Kombat. Um, yeah. Compare the one you got on the Super Nintendo to the one you got on the Genesis, and it's night and day. Mm. Yeah, and it's and they also had you know the the big difference between you know the two systems was essentially the Genesis was double the speed. I think it was what seven point two megahertz mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. compared to the Super Nintendo's three point six. So they were they were focusing on trying to get those kinds of people that that came into the arcades and that were playing those games and things like that and going you can do this stuff at home and there was a there was a certain attitude in terms of the way that they they comported themselves and the way that Sega yeah. behaved um, but also you know I think really one of the things that I missed the most about Sega is you know I, I love Nintendo stuff for the most part but one of the things about Sega is is just that they were so different than Nintendo at the time. And I, I kind of wish we had something like that these days because all we really have right now is arrogant Sony, aloof Nintendo, and Microsoft trying to catch up. But there's so much intermingling, really, with the exception of Nintendo. You know, uh, you can really kind of do the same thing across all three consoles with the exception of the Switch where, you know, you can you can take it places. Mm. Um, but, you know, the when you look at the lineup – that the Genesis had just throughout its whole lifetime compared to that of the Super Nintendo. I still think the Super Nintendo is a better system um, in terms of the games that are available for it. And, you know, that, that also may be my bias talking because two of my favorite games of all time are on the Super Nintendo, and that's Super Mario World and Final Fantasy VI. So, um, and I, I can't think of, honestly, any any games that are like in a top ten list for me that are on the on the 
Genesis with the exception of like maybe Fantasy Star 4. Um, but Sega was able – I mean Sega created console wars basically mm-hmm. by firing that shot by saying Genesis does what Nintendo don't. Like they, mm-hmm. they fucking open that shit up. And you know I, I just – I in a, in a certain way I really miss sort of the days – not of the console war portion of it, but the fact that when you got a game on Genesis, it was very different than the same exact game on the Super Nintendo. And like you guys already mentioned a couple of titles like Lion King and stuff like that. Those those games were completely different on the SNES. Aladdin was completely different on the SNES. Like mm-hmm. the 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 games that were on Genesis for the most part played to the Genesis's strengths. Um, and you can even see that in games like uh, not just the way that they looked. Like you know most most Sega games had a dark look in terms of their palette, not because they were trying to be mature or anything else like that. That was certainly part of it. But the color options chosen for Sega games by developers was, was distinct because of the color palette that the Genesis had available and the fact that it could only put 64 colors on the screen at once compared to the Super Nintendo's 256. Um, but you know, they're also able to sort of obfuscate some of that by having much faster games. And, and so you can focus on bright primary colors and moving things around very quickly. Um, I mean, hell, you can see that on display in, in every every opening level of every Sonic game. Um, I think plays to the Genesis's strengths. And then, you know, there were there were people that Genesis had. I think for a lot of people, they would consider an inferior sound chip. But if you got somebody that knew how to fucking work it, um, some of the tunes that just came out on Genesis did not sound like anything that you could hear on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And it really depended on what hardware you had, too. Yeah. Yeah, if you had the version 2 hardware, it didn't sound very good no matter what. Yeah. Um, but version 1... Dude, I mean, I also love the fact that the Genesis had a headphone jack on it. Yeah. Like, that was badass. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to me, like, some of the composers on the Genesis, just, just the very different styles that they that they employed with the same tools that they all had access to. Uh, you had uh, I don't know if any of you have played uh, the Adventures of Batman and Robin on the on the Genesis, which is I have is fantastic, and like Jesper Kid did an amazing soundtrack for that game. Did not use a single PCM sample at all. Yeah, and it's just uh, the amount of creativity that uh, people uh, were were able to do with with that hardware. Uh, meanwhile, you have like Tommy Tallarico, who was very sample heavy. Uh, yep. You know, making Mag Global Gladiators, uh, the soundtracks for Earthworm Jim 1 and 2. Uh, yeah, they were, they were, those sounded great on the, on the Genesis. Yep. Yeah, in cool spot. Don't forget that yeah. one. Um, yeah, there's just the, I think that was the coolest thing about that generation was is that I think you just had a very distinct type of, of of not a distinct type, but I think you had a category of games that were produced for a Genesis and a category of games that were produced for the Super Nintendo. And and I think if you were in the position, which I was not until pretty much after the generation ended, um, to own both of them, it was something else just entirely. Because we, you know, back at the time, so I, I had a Genesis, but I traded that in for a Super Nintendo because of Street Fighter 2. Um, and that was the thing. It was like, oh my God, Street Fighter 2. And then, of course, they came out with their... their The Genesis ended up with a champion edition and then uh, the Super Nintendo got uh, basically turbo. Um, and then, you know, and then I stayed in the Super Nintendo realm, you know, because I didn't want to buy a new controller to get six buttons, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, But just the, the, the plethora of games that were available... Um, the stuff that Sega was making was nothing like what Nintendo was making and vice versa. Yeah. And I just found that so interesting. And I can't think of really a, a time where that was more 
prevalent than in the 16-bit era. And so I very much have nostalgia yeah. for the idea of the Genesis, maybe not all of the games, but I have to hand it to Sega in terms of what they put on what they're putting on this system. That's pretty fucking good, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, honestly, one of the things about Sega that I always loved is, and this kind of goes for Sony as well back in the day, uh, the great thing about Sega to me back then was they were willing to experiment and they were willing to try these really bizarre, really odd projects. Yeah, Nintendo um, would have never greenlit something like Echo the Dolphin. Yeah, like you can look yeah. at their output Echo the Dolphin. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good example. And then, of course, you know we're gonna we're fixing to be talking about hardware. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like the Nintendo's output between NES and Super Nintendo was like a crazy one eighty. Like yeah. They were just putting out tons of stuff on the NES. Yeah, uh, Some of it was crap, and then they came out to the Super Nintendo's like, we're going to kind of cull this down a little bit and go yeah. for better things. Yeah, You still um, got weird stuff like Yoshi's Island and Star Fox, hmm. some yeah. of that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, like Sega was – Sega and then Sony were like – just like, all right, let's get Japanese as fuck here. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, we, we talked a bit about Capcom and what it did on Genesis. There was also Konami. And Konami put out some pretty good stuff on the Genesis back in the day. The one that it took them a while to come around, but once they yeah. did, holy shit! <laughs> uh, the one that really stands out to me is Rocket Knight. Mm. Yeah, that, um, was a, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, hard as um, balls though. <laughs> oh yes, it was. Um, and then of course you know there was like Rondo of Blood, which was like the Bloodlines, yeah. No, Bloodlines. Yeah, yeah, Bloodlines, yeah, which was the uh, Castlevania games we didn't get on the Nintendo systems. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Konami, when they did good stuff on Genesis, they did amazing shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Bloodlines was actually, I think, the first Castlevania game that Michiru Yamane worked on, too. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's that. Uh, but, yeah, in general, third-party support was actually very good for the Genesis. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... Mm-hmm. It, it's like they weren't struggling uh, to get to get games on that system, and they were actually approaching uh, companies like you know, you know, Tengen was being shunned by Nintendo basically, but Sega was like, yeah, you can be our licensee, no problem. Yeah. So, and Sega was one of the companies that would have had the the most reason to be pissed off with them. Yeah. <laughs> For porting their games to the NES. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. was some weird licensing thing going on that actually made that legal. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. All right. But after, okay, so with that, we do kind of need to talk about the thing, other thing about the Genesis, which is you've often heard us make references to what we call the Tower of Power. <laughs> um Basically, it's because the Sega Genesis back in the day had a zillion different add-ons uh, to try. And basically, just so Sega could put off putting out a new console as long as they could. Um, they did it successfully. Well, it was kind of I weird. Mean, they they had all these projects in the works, and they released them all and said, uh, survival of the fittest. Yeah, which meant that on the one hand, and we got the Sega Saturn, which was you know a console that was good, but it was never really well marketed here in the U.S. Mm. Um, and then at the same time, we also got stuff like the Sega CD. <laughs> well, I will defend the Sega CD because yeah, it had some really excellent games on there. Uh, it was kind of overshadowed by the fact that a lot of the games that were being pushed 
were all like FMV garbage. And yeah, absolute shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Night trap being yeah. probably the one everyone remembers. There was yeah. also uh, Yeah. You were you were issued shark. Yeah. yeah. Sewer Shark, Ground Zero Texas, Double Switch. Uh, oh, Tomcat Alley was dope, though. Oh, that game was so bad, but oh, that was wasn't great. It great. <laughs> Fucking danger zone, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So th- there was that, and the, the what else made up the Tower of Power was the 32X, 32X. which was slot on top of it. Uh, and that, that basically the only thing I remember from the 32X is... Sonic. Uh, Knuckles having his own game. Yeah. Yeah, no, which you could finish in like two hours on your first try. Yeah. <laughs> the Genesis also had the Master System converter on it. Yes, the power yep. base converter, so you could play Master System games. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, Phil, how's Doom on a 32X? It's it's a passable version of Doom. I, mean, I it, we played the crap out of it. It was yeah. the only thing we had it working on for a while. Yeah, I mean, if you I got a have... 32x just for that game. Yeah, if it didn't oh have my PC, I knew Rumble Fighter was coming. Yeah, so there was that. Doing on the 32x was okay. The music was shit. Uh, was just there's no. It, it sounded like a bunch of well, uh, random flatulence. Well, no. <laughs> what happened was isn't that the port where you didn't get any sound or any music while you were playing, but when you got to the end of level score tally it would play the level theme instead no that was uh that was the jaguar version okay yeah uh 32x version did have in-game music and it was terrible it was also missing a bunch of levels um yeah it was almost the shareware version yeah i remember that was a bit more expansive than the shareware version and it was and it wasn't divided into episodes it was all linear um so there was and the BFG version. would cause random crashes. Uh, yeah, they, they did never fix that. <laughs> they never did fix that. Uh, but yeah, once the game burned, they can't really they can't really patch it anymore. Yeah, yeah mm. right. everybody's favorite game, Corpse Killer. Oh god, no. uh, which yeah. just got a 25th anniversary release uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, I I know these like the the, the Corey uh, who we've had on the show, Corey Colton, uh, is uh, like actually uh helped help do some of the video restoration for those games um yeah so uh yeah i, I kind of appreciate it for that it doesn't make the game any better uh it's still yeah. shit but now it's better looking shit so <laughs> yeah, make of that what you will um oh my god <laughs> yes Lee, sounds could, like an ea game yeah you can now get Corpse Killer 25th Anniversary Edition on on your PC. So, oh well, I can die in peace now. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, speaking of EA, you know, there was actually some tension between Sega and EA back then. Yes, yes. Oh, EA yeah. EA held Sega over a barrel. Yeah, um, which was absolutely insane. Because uh, if I recall correctly. Um, and weren't they all, weren't they making all of the money because of each other? Well, no, but that was part of it. What happened was is that EA basically pulled a Tengen, like how with Nintendo and EA went to Sega, and they were like, "We can manufacture our own shit." Um, God, I, can't, I wish I remember oh, all the those details. I remember square reading. cartridges. Okay, yeah, you remember how they used to have that little thing on the side and all mm-hmm. of that? And yeah. So they basically just said, "Look, a little yellow gonna, tab." Yeah. yeah, we're going to put this shit out regardless. You can come along with us or not. Um, I don't remember all the details. Phil, do you know all those? Because I just remember it was like, "God damn, EA." So it was. Uh, Trip Hawkins uh, is kind of a bit of a jerk uh, back in the day. Kind of. Yeah. 
Uh, well, uh, he didn't want to pay licensing fees because he was of the opinion that, well, I've never played licensing fees to a platform before. I mean, he's been, he did, uh, a lot of work back then on the, you know, the C64, the PC stuff. There's no licensing on that. So he was still of that opinion that, you know, I, I shouldn't have to pay, uh, the, this company to, uh, uh, put my games on that platform. Well, that's kind of how that, uh, agreement works. Uh, so he put his uh, engineers uh, to work trying to reverse engineer the Genesis cartridge format. And uh, it took him a few weeks, but they did it. Uh, and uh, start initially started releasing games without uh, any, you know, any uh, permission from Sega at all. Uh, which is why uh, those early EA games with the square cartridges, if you uh, ever, ever manage to find a couple of copies, you'll see there's no Sega seal on there. Yeah. Uh, so what ended up happening was uh, Tom Kalinske, uh, Al Nelson, and I think uh, Shinobu Toyota went over to uh, the EA offices and uh, tried to hash out a deal. And uh, it was it was a pretty interesting time because uh, they were also working on Joe Montana football back then, and there was like uh, the version that they had in internally that was being worked on was nowhere near being finished and was shit anyway. Uh, so they went over to EA and they tried to hash out an agreement and, uh, they ended up kind of compromising where, uh, EA would get to manufacture their cartridges and instead of paying, uh, with, I believe it was a 10 or $15 royalty, they only paid four. Um, yeah, that's what it was because the, I remember, yes. Yeah, so, uh, Sega at the time was doing huge stuff with their sports game, the Tommy, the sort of baseball, the Buster Douglas, uh, fucking boxing and all that, and EA basically just came in and said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna put our our titles in your system. We don't want to really pay much for it." And Sony, or excuse me, Sega couldn't compete with what EA was producing, and so they were just like, "Oh shit!" And the reason that they made the deal was because they knew that EA stuff was gonna sell anyway. And so basically, EA came in there like a bunch of fucking terrorists, and fucking Sega negotiated with them. Basically, yeah, that's kind of how that worked. And uh, they ended up uh, like one of the one of the things that Kalinsky ended up negotiating was that uh, the original Joe Montana football would end up using the Madden engine, and uh, this was before Madden, the first Madden came out. Uh, so uh, yeah. Uh, that's why if you look at uh, Joe Montana football on the Genesis and then go over and look at uh, Joe Montana 2, which is sports talk football, yeah, two very different games. Yes. And that is why. <laughs> uh, so, and uh, it it was a weird relationship that Sega and EA ended up entering into, but it was one that actually benefited both of them in the end uh, because, yeah, EA did put, put out some really excellent games on the Genesis. Um, I mean, you had, uh, gems like, uh, the Strike series, like Jungle Strike, Urban Strike, Desert Strike, which were great. Uh, what else did we have from EA? Well, Road NHL. Rash, NHL, Madden, FIFA. Yeah, so I, I think they ended up making their money back. NBA, NBA Live. Yeah. Fucking, yep. my favorite NBA game of all time was 92, the one where you could play as the Dream Team, and then ev- everybody on the Dream Team dunked differently based on where you made them try and jump from, hmm. which was like the coolest shit in the world. Cause I'd have my friends over and be like, Oh, I'm going to dunk on you with Jordan and then fucking do it. You know what I mean? Like doing the jumping man, <laughs> doing the jump man on him and shit. Or like Carl Malone, just fucking barreling people down the lane and shit. Oh man. And then of course, NHL 94. Yeah. 
uh, a game that is still uh, very, People very... still fucking play. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go on eBay and get myself a copy of NHL 94 before the prices of that start to go up. Uh, it, it's very it's very rare that prices of, of Genesis sports games ever go up, but that one actually is starting to. Uh, huh. Yeah, so keep an eye on that one. Uh, but yeah, the other thing about the Genesis add-ons, just to get back to there, is they also had a couple, their fair share of gimmicky ones. Uh, don't know if you guys remember the uh, Menacer, which I guess was yeah. their answer to the Super Scope. Oh yeah, the yeah. Menacer, and they had that activator. one. Activator. Yeah. The activator, yes, that's what I was thinking of, the activator. Holy fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could yeah. stand in there and, uh, yeah, yeah, activator. Yeah, you had it was like an infrared field thing, and it's like depending on whether you uh, um, broke the beam low or high, you'd get yeah. a different button or direction. Uh, yeah, and it was and it was crazy too because it was just a giant octagon that you sat in, which was funny. Yeah, you, you, you stood in it. <laughs> yeah, you stood in it literally. You just stood in. You would, you could kick for low and you would punch for high. Yeah, and so. somebody thought and somebody thought uh, playing Mortal Kombat two with the activator was a good idea. Because no. it has native support for it, I, I I don't understand. I just don't. <laughs> yeah, this menacer. Well, I'm sure looks the like for Ed Boon was very yeah. large. I, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at this menacer. It just looks like they took a super scope and modded it. It, it. it was very similar to that. Yeah. It's like got the same kind of gray plastic mm. for at least half of it. Yeah, but it did have that awesome Toejammerer themed game, so that was kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, what what else should we mention about the? Uh, oh yeah, it should possibly- I love I love the design of the Genesis. Like when you set that next to the Super Nintendo, the fucking Genesis looks so much cooler. Yeah, um, just that black plastic. It's aggressive looking. Except the Model um, Three. Yeah, the Model Three looked like shit. I didn't realize wasn't even. I think even the Model Two looked pretty good, but the Model One, I just there was just something about it. And yeah. Even just the name of it, the change of the name from. Eastern markets to the West where it's the Genesis. Hmm. Like that's a pretty fucking like bold, arrogant thing to do. Like, yeah, this shit is starting now. <laughs> you know, like I just Sega, Sega had Sega was really, really thought they had a fucking big dick and they were trying to swing it around as best they could. And it's the one thing that sucks about the Genesis was is the stuff like the 32X and the Sega C D, which I think was was Sega trying to do new things because they were very much Nintendo wasn't the taking risk type. Sega definitely was, um, but you know those those things and and just well, Sega would of, not have washed their hands of Sony the way that Nintendo did. Right, that's for damn sure. Right, but the other thing too is with Sony being, or with Sega being so experimentative, they also alienated a good chunk of their fan base, which led to you know really the debacle of the Saturn and the way that it got launched, and then just. Then they abandoned that as well, and they really just taught people, like, if you support us, we're not going to support you that long. And, you know, Sega, unfortunately for a lot of that stuff, had some really, really bad management decisions that started with the Genesis, unfortunately. Yeah, um, and, that, and that was because there was almost a near constant uh, struggle between Sega of Japan and Sega of America. Uh, yep. You had uh, the suits in Japan who were very, very conservative. Uh, they had a very clear idea of what they thought they should do. Uh, and then you had this American uh, upstart, you know, Tom Kalinske, uh, go over there and basically said, no, dude, this is how we do it. Uh, and, okay, uh, 
he got permission to do it. And uh, what ended up happening was uh, they were very successful with that strategy in the U.S. Meanwhile, now everyone on the Japanese side of the table got heartburn. Yeah, because, I mean, the blueprint was there. Japan could have adopted those same techniques and probably been just as successful. But they didn't. So that ended up becoming kind of a sticking point between uh, the U.S. and uh, Japan that uh, the COO, it was uh, Shinobu Toyota, had to kind of try to constantly try to mediate between the two company, between the two branches of the company. Uh, and that ended up cul- kind of culminating in that shit show that was the... Do you sac- think your job sucks? Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, and then you ended up with uh, the Saturn launch, which uh, nobody really expected to happen and they burned a lot of bridges with that launch uh <laughs> shortchanging a bunch of uh your longtime retailers uh to the point where you well basically you, you maybe they get one or two units uh because you want to meet this arbitrary date that all of the your that your american chief is telling you no this is not a good idea uh and uh, all of your developers are telling you no this is not a good idea uh, but because they launched prior to the PlayStation in Japan and were successful, they think they could re- they could do that in the U.S. as well, and <laughs> it just didn't work out. Okay. So, so yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, let's kind of talk about uh, favorite Genesis games. Uh, let's just go around the horn. Maybe one or two games that uh, kind of left the memory uh, in in your guys. So, uh, who wants to start? Anybody? Uh, I'll go. I'll go. My, I my, definitely my favorite game on the system is Fantasy Star Four. Yeah. Um, I think it is the most underrated 16-bit RPG out there, and it, it was unfortunate that it got released at the end of the Genesis's lifespan and was also hundred dollar price. Yes, tag. it was a hundred dollars. Yeah, um, which was just absolutely insane. Um, I also have just a a. Uh, absolute fondness for for all of the the Disney games on there. So the the Castle of Illusions, Quackshot, stuff like that. Um, I just it was just a blast, and I loved uh, all the arcade game ports and and just then the the way the different stuff went. I just I really do have a lot of fond memories for the Genesis, um, just because it was so different than the other stuff that you got. And, and I would put uh, really any of the arcade stuff up there. The stuff that I could play with my friends, I just thoroughly enjoyed being able to play stuff in the arcade and then play it at home was was fantastic. Yeah, the way Sega really steered into arcade culture was really a special thing in gaming at the time. Yeah. I really dug Shadow Dancer, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. And your attack dog with you at the time. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Just fucking jumping on people. Fucking Revenge of Shinobi. Like, that was the thing. Like, I felt like the best part about the Genesis was that Sega took all of the stuff that they did that was really, really cool in the arcades, and then they also came up with some, some newer things um, that they that they did. And I just I thought it was a really neat system. I don't think it's as uh, thought of as fondly as the uh, Super Nintendo, uh, but it was definitely something that was super important for us to have here. Um, and I, I'm definitely glad that it was around. I think it has a lot of underrated stuff. Gunstar Heroes, mm-hmm. the oh, Castlevania yeah. on there was fantastic. The Contra game on there was fantastic. There was a lot of really good games on the system that I think got overlooked. Um, and then and Sega really played to their strengths with just not their first party stuff, but their third party stuff. A lot of the games that were that needed to be faster and then stuff like that were just were fantastic on the Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pat. Yeah, I um, 
I'm in largely agreement with Lee about just the arcade stuff and Fantasy Star 4. Um, the way Sega, again, steered into arcade culture was um, something that was very much needed at the time. And I, I for one, definitely uh, consumed vast quantities of their library just because of that. And then um, there were also the RPGs, of course. The Fantasy Star series, Shining Force was great. Um, at risk of taking one of your picks, Phil. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting because if you take a certain slice of... Um, a certain slice of the Genesis lifespan, it's going to have a different focal point. Mm-hmm. You've got the... Um, those early days where it was arcade centric and then they went mass market when Sonic came along and then they kind of steered back toward the arcade side of things, uh, with the, um, with the arrival of the fighting genre. And then, you know, um, toward the end of the lifespan, you started seeing the RPGs really start to roll because that's what Nintendo was doing. And, um, they had their offerings to go alongside that. So, um, it was really interesting to see how they were willing to change their priorities based on the market demands at the time. And they did a really good job of staying relevant uh, throughout the generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll go. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Oh, go ahead, Brendan. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, and uh, I have to remind people technically because I did not really own a Sega system until the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. So my experience with the Genesis was usually me playing at like a friend's house. But that being said, there were definitely a couple of games that definitely made their impression on me. Um, the big one that I always remember, of course, is Gunstar Heroes. Uh, and actually, for that matter, pretty much any game that Treasure put on that system. Yes. Um, I mean, that also, I guess, includes Dynamite Heady as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically anything Treasure put on there was basically just a made-to-be-a-classic. Um, yeah. And, I mean, obviously it didn't stop with Genesis. They kept making amazing games afterwards for another generation or two. Yep. Um, let's see. The other big one was probably Echo the Dolphin, mm-hmm. simply because there just that wasn't was a different. game like it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, again, that was part of the Sega that I loved was that they were willing to, you know, take chances on really weird experimental stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and also Streets of Rage, too. Uh, hmm. But that's like, yeah, that's just that. That's that's an obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird that we've gone through this entire segment, and this is the first time we've actually mentioned Streets of Rage two. <laughs> it, it's just because what it's it's one yeah. of those games that's just you don't need to mention it. It's it's known. Uh, I did sort of mention it in a roundabout way in mm-hmm. Sega steering into arcade culture, but right. yeah, that's the first explicit mention. Um, another big one that had a big, and it was definitely late in the Genesis life cycle, but uh, Vector Man. Because yes. that oh was God. Like, yeah, right? Vector Man was like one. Of, yeah, it was like right on the cusp when the old cartridge-based systems were dying out, and the new um, 
disk-based systems were coming in. And Vector Man's very reminiscent of that point between the two because it was basically a it was a 2.5D platformer hmm. that used for the time pretty advanced 3D graphic uh, on a cartridge-based system. Yeah, uh, it was all like it was done um, the same way as Donkey Kong Country. It's like all pre-rendered stuff, but it was really good looking. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I forgot about and, how amazing that was. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, honestly, anything else uh, would probably be Eternal Champions, and that's because it was brighter than Mortal Kombat and bloodier. (laughs) (laughs) And it also had, like, one of the most hard as ball end bosses in any fighting game ever. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, I always wondered if they outsourced that I need to point out... you. Uh, also, for the record, anybody's curious, yes, I have played all the Sonic games, hmm. but the thing is, is that I only really got to play any of the Sonic games to completion uh, when uh, the Sonic collection for the GameCube came out. Okay. So, oh. Still valid. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's basically been my experience with Genesis. All right. Anybody else want to go? Yeah, I'll go. Hmm. Um. I, I had kind of a similar thing with Brandon in that I didn't own the Genesis. Um, I eventually dated someone who did, but uh, it came out when when I started high school, and none of my friends played it. Um, just the 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 guys played it, and none of my female gaming friends played it. So we were always playing Nintendo. So I didn't play it until college. You know, I I went to college. Scott was there. He had his Genesis. And um, I, I absolutely loved Sonic. Uh, Sonic 3 is my favorite, though. But as far as the games that really stood out for me with it, it's going to be weird. You guys know me. It's going to be weird. My favorite one was Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Mm-hmm. I, I could <laughs> see that. That was a great game. It was. It was. And it, it was a, every time I think about it, I, I just have huge flashback memories of college and, and smashing pumpkins and, uh, you know, green day and it, like just a huge, I don't know. It, it's, it's more than just the game. It, it's, it's an entire chapter of my life. Um, but second up from that was clue the board game. Wow. <laughs> I told you it was weird. Um, but I used to play that for hours on end uh, on weekends that I didn't go home and go to work. I would, uh, you know, we lived in a, we lived in the dorm and my next door neighbor, Lori and I were bored off of our asses because everybody left on the weekend. There was nothing to do. And so we would keep ourselves occupied by sleeping until at least one in the afternoon because there was nothing to do. And then playing Clue for two or three hours and then watching some old VHS tapes because, God, we were poor in college. We were just (laughs) dirt poor in college. Um, And then after that, it's been mentioned before, but it absolutely bears repeating, Echo the Dolphin. God, I love that game. Absolutely love that game. But And there was a lot that I played afterwards, too, but... It wasn't quite in the same time period. It, it was after, well, after the uh, uh, Saturn came out. So it kind of wasn't really in the Genesis's life cycle. Mm-hmm. But I did get to play Final Fantasy IV, but 
uh, sorry, Fantasy, Fantasy Star. Star for, but not not on the Genesis. Hmm. So. I wish that I could say that, you know, that I had played that. And yeah, I played Streets of Rage and all this other stuff with Scott. And, but those weren't my thing. Hmm. The others were my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is no surprise to you guys. No. Hmm. All right. uh, okay, Chris, do you, you have any memories that you want to share? Uh, yeah, I had a Genesis about six months uh, oh. before I got a PS1 and had to get rid of the Genesis. But... There was some stuff I liked on it, and so most of my experience is kind of with uh, their collections they put out on like the PS3 and this past gen, hmm. uh, that sort of stuff. But uh, one of the games I did have uh, back then that was really good was NFL Football 94 starring Joe Montana, mm-hmm. which was uh, one of those uh, Sega Sports Talk uh, games. Yeah, And it was sort of mind-blowing to hear a sports game where there was actual commentary yeah. going on. Uh, which just added to it, even though it sounded like shit for that era. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of fun to have this uh, commentary going on. It's like, damn, they're talking about the the score, even though it's like, you know, 24 to 21. Uh, really stilted stuff, but it was kind of an amazing thing to see, which would become more of a thing on the PS1 as they had actual room to have a lot of chatter yeah. uh, on there. Um, I think some of the stuff I really liked on the, the collections that I would get, uh, stuff like, uh, Streets of Rage games, mm-hmm. uh, like that along with like Final Fight were like some of the most fun games to play, uh, co-op with friends and then just fight them over the meats you got in barrels, <laughs> uh, for power-ups and such. Um, I think one of the other games I kind of really liked to get out of the, those collections like Ristar. It's like a really solid platformer. Yeah. Um, I think a game that is probably one of the most relevant to modern gaming out of anything that was on Genesis was Toe Jam and Earl. Because hmm. uh, that was uh, essentially a roguelike. Released in the 90s, nobody knew what those were. Because <laughs> there were very few games like that at that point. But a game that just had randomly generated maps each time, the items, you didn't know what they do. Each time you just started up a new run. So you had to just try everything occasionally. Some of them would just do fucked up shit to you. <laughs> uh, so you have to kind of figure that out earlier when you can kind of recover before uh, hopefully get too far into it. But yeah, it's a game where you're just kind of exploring, getting these items, uh, staying away from the crazy uh, earthlings that are around on the planet. Mm-hmm. And hopefully not uh, make any mistakes like falling off the sides of the, the level. Yeah. Things like that. Uh, it's just one of those games that's like probably better now than it was back then. Yeah, because you have more of a taste for that sort of thing. Yeah, unless you were trying to get to uh, like level negative one, then you had to fall off. Yeah, mm. but you also yeah. needed rocket shoes to do that. So mm-hmm. uh, you'd be playing a while just to get a pair, of, a couple of pairs of shoes, so you could fall down all the way back to one. Yeah, to, <laughs> get across to the little island and then fall in, and then you had your Level negative one with the pot tub. Yeah. Because 90s. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's there's definitely good stuff there. I think uh, one of the other things I kind of liked about the system was the Dino Robotnik's uh, Mean Bean Machine, which mm-hmm. was just a Puyo game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before we knew about the, what they were. <laughs> yeah, and that was like one of the best mm-hmm. parts of uh, 
the most recent Sonic games where they put that as like a boss fight where you're facing off against Robotnik in uh, a match of that. It's mm. like, oh shit, this is... Uh, Alright, I'm going to wreck you now. <laughs> this is better than the rest of the game. Uh, and it kind of really introduced me to that kind of uh, puzzle game. Mm. Uh, which I always avoid playing in multiplayer because I know the rules, but somehow when I play against somebody else, they get all the lucky drops. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and just destroy me every single time. So I was like, I'm just going to play the AI hmm. so I can at least win there. You know, looking uh, back, I'm I'm really impressed that in the rural area that we lived in back then that we we managed to find it before internet ordering games like Doctor Robotnik's, uh, you know. But it didn't seem like where where in the hell did we buy that? Because yeah. they didn't have it at freaking Walmart, and that was all we had then. Hmm. Yeah, there were no Game Stops there. It, I, I'm, it must, it must have been just a weird time. I don't know. How did we come across some of this shit? Yeah, yeah. I imagine the Sonic license being attached to it helped it out. Yeah, it, yeah, maybe so. Like with like Sonic Spinball and stuff like that. It was like this game. I guess is a, it's a pinball game. That's cool. It's a weird pinball game because it's like platforming and it's not very good at that. No. Well, I mean, isn't Sonic Spinball basically like the console oh, version of a Game Gear game? Yeah. Uh, maybe. Because I remember playing it and the audio was awful. Well, yeah, it yeah, was. It, it was it? terrible. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was made for the Genesis. Yeah, badly. Uh, <laughs> it was probably ported over, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking it up. It says it was made by Sega Technical Institute. STI, yep. Yeah, yeah which I guess was founded by Mark Cerny. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of weird. But yeah, that was uh, a very weird game to have. Like, hey, let's see this character where you half the time you're in a ball form. Mm. Let's put him yeah. in a pinball game. Yeah. That was a very sweary game, if I remember correctly. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a very, very strange game. Especially if you paid money for it. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I know. <laughs> we didn't have inter- internet reviews back then, so it was, no. it was a luck of the draw thing back then. Right, and if you didn't wait for the you know the next episode of EGM to come, episode the next uh, issue of EGM to come out, yeah. you're kind of screwed if you picked the wrong thing. Yeah, or if they reviewed it not yeah. so good. So for me, I guess I have kind of a strange uh, set as well. Uh, well, granted, Shining Force 2 is not that strange. A lot of a lot of people enjoy, it. enjoy that game. Uh, <laughs> but I got a couple of others that were really that I really very much enjoyed playing back then. And that was well, the first one was Gyrus. Um, yeah, that was of I guess I guess you could consider it an obscure shooter at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was one of those uh, strange R-type inspired uh, side-scrolling shmups. Uh, but it had this weird mechanic where you threw out your pod and latched onto uh, you know, like, and the enemies, and you'd pull in some of their power. And the more you did it, the more powerful your shots got. Um, so you'd have to like figure out, well, which type of shots do you like? Because each enemy's well, shots are different. And if you you know uh, pick a different enemy, then you start from uh, start over again. So you got to decide, well, which one do I like? And that game was great. It had visually, it was gorgeous. Uh, music was excellent, but that shouldn't be surprising because it was Technosoft, uh, I do believe. 
Mm, I'd have to check that. Anyway, it was, it was a very good game. Uh, yeah, that was one of my favorites. And the other one was... Uh, I, you guys are going to laugh, but um, Valus 3. I'm not laughing because I haven't heard of it. <laughs> Nobody? Yeah. Uh, it was a PC Engine game. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it used to be a CD, CD-based game. Side-scrolling shooter. Shooter? No. Side-scrolling plaf- action platformer is what that was. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, fairly decent fairly decent game. The Genesis version was very solid, apart from the fact that it didn't have any of the CD you know, audio or any of the cutscenes or anything like that, but it still played quite well. Uh, there was that one that I... Had, really enjoyed uh and then uh, there was one more that i want to mention uh which was balls uh, 3d no no <laughs> no <laughs> no we're just not in that no uh i, I kind of uh yeah i uh, played that but i played it on the super nintendo yeah and that version was actually worse <laughs> somehow somehow <laughs> yeah uh yeah the other one i want to mention is beyond oasis uh, because that is one of those very interesting Zelda-style action RPGs uh, with a Yuzo Kushiro soundtrack. So, yeah, it was hard to not like that one. Uh, I played the shit out of that, and I, <laughs> play, uh, I still play it now because uh, it's it's one of those really fun games. Mechanically, it's very sound. Combat's great. Uh, yeah, it's holds up. Yeah. Uh, so that's it's been getting its due on a lot of those collections that have been coming out. Yeah, as it should. It's on the it's on the Genesis Mini, uh, as is Light Crusader, which uh, is definitely a game that should get some due because that's uh, a very great isometric RPG done by Treasure too, by the way. Mm. So that's something you don't see often. No, Treasure <laughs> doing an RPG, huh? <laughs> and it's uh, as good as you would expect it to look. Uh, so I think we'll we'll wrap it up there, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us on the the show this week. Uh, I'd like to remind you, if you haven't subscribed to the show, you can do so at anchor.fm slash dayzeroupdate. Uh, hit the subscribe button, pick your platform, and you're good to go. Uh, so you can also check us out at smashpad.com, where you can read Brandon's uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses review. Yep. Spoiler alert, it's good. Yeah. Uh, so with that, I have been Filippo Donelfo, and for Patrick Mifflin, Brandon Perkins, Chris Lee Lamb, and Thurston Sammons, we'll see you next week. <laughs>